get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, and it's Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, hope you had a great weekend. I did, Randy. My weekend was wonderful. How was yours? Mine was fantastic. Yeah, me and uh, Carolina, we're just, uh, we're getting to know. No, it's a slow process, Michelle. Oh, man, this is breaking news. I think we might need some club horns or something for this because Randy texted me over the weekend. We have a massive development on character and Smallman. I didn't think we were going to lead the show with this, but I feel like it's worthy of it. So go ahead. So Michelle told the story on Friday of a young lady uh, in uh, what country? She's in Barcelona, Spain. She's in Barcelona, but she was on the cover of Playboy Africa. Yeah, Carolina Lecker is mm-hmm. her name. Mm-hmm. And she's got a deal where she gets together with young ladies to try to kind of, for lack of a better term, catfish guys into thinking that they're going to have a relationship with her. And then if the guy does engage her, then she tells the, the young lady, and the young lady has to pay $2,000 for that knowledge that she has. She performs a trust test. She does, yeah. On your man. So I was proactive, and I provided an Instagram message to Carolina saying, hey, cutie, uh, saw you online, thought I'd see what's going on. How you doing? And she responded. <laughs> we never thought she would respond. She, in fact, did. Because what Carolina does is uh, a woman, as you said, will give her $2,000. She slides into that woman's man's mm-hmm. DMs. Mm-hmm engages with him and then once they go to meet up she keeps the money if the man says nope don't want to meet you she returns the money to the customer and randy said i am going to chess your checkers game here i'm going to slide into your dms before you can slide into mine he crafted a wonderful dm i thought thank you during commercial break as he mentioned he led with hey cutie (laughs) which i thought was a great opener and uh randy texted me with alarm bells this weekend she responded (laughs) And then when I told her to have, to have the uh, great rest of the weekend, she sent back uh, thanks with the, the prayer emoji and all of that That's stuff. That's great. So. Yeah, but um, I guess she had had some sort of plastic surgery and oh, yeah. she, she shared on her social media. And yeah. Randy said, saw the bandages, just wanted to make sure you're okay. And she said, thank you for checking in. I am good. Yeah, so, so she appreciates, Randy, your consideration so, of her surgery. So we've got that going for us. We do. The character and small and thriving in the DM scene. Well, we love it. Meanwhile, the Blues with a win and a loss this weekend, a, a very impressive win against Nashville on Saturday, 7-4. to And then last night, third game in four nights, the Blues lead 3-2 after two periods, and then Connor scores for Winnipeg to uh, get the game tied, or give the Jets the lead. Jets scored two quick goals in the third period, but the Blues came back and were able to send this one to overtime, courtesy of Braden Shen. They get the puck to Tarasenko, down to the goal line, they get it in front, they score! Braden Shen is tied! And we went to overtime, and things didn't turn out as the Blues had hoped they would. As the Jets bring it in, Ehlers centering, they shoot and score. 
They caught the Blues on a bad line change. Dubois puts in the game winner, and the Winnipeg Jets beat the Blues 4-3 to tonight. And, Michelle, the Blues have a problem with the trade deadline one week from today in that Marco Scandella, who's a really, really, really nice guy, I want to preface this by saying I wish I didn't have to say bad things about Marco Scandella, but he's just not producing. He's He had the key turnover on the Connor goal that uh, gave Winnipeg the lead, and you just can't have that kind of play, especially when you're a playoff team that expects to win a Stanley Cup, because you just, for, especially from a veteran player, I could understand if it was Mila, but this is a guy that's been around the block, and you just can't have those sorts of turnovers that cost you games and that that cost him last night a guy that is has been there before and that you're paying right which yeah. I think is a, a tricky situation for Doug Armstrong because I don't know who's going to want to absorb that contract with the way that he's been playing but you're right Randy that that turnover key moment in the game leading to the 3-2 go ahead for them but I really appreciated on the third goal though the Blues fighting back obviously it was a great sequence mm-hmm. leading up to Braden Shen getting the equalizer Ryan O'Reilly with the body in, in front of the net but I like that the Blues continue to fight back I think that's even though they didn't win the game yesterday it went to overtime mm-hmm. I like that they got the the point. I think over the weekend we saw some moxie from this team that they are fighting back. They're going to put their foot on the gas all the way till the end. And as we mentioned, third game in four nights. Yes. And I'm sure fatigue caught up with the Blues in the third period. They go into the third with the lead, give up the lead, but like you said, showed some moxie, showed some toughness in coming back to get that game to overtime and getting the point. And so the Blues go 1-0-1 on the weekend. Baseball, the Cardinals, we we were hoping that they would add to their bullpen, and they did. They signed two right-handed relievers over the weekend. On Friday, after we were off the air, they signed former Tiger Drew Verhagen. He comes back to the USA from Japan on a two-year deal. And former Indian Nick Whitgren signs a one-year $1.2 million contract Yesterday, Whitgren did not have a very good year, about a 5.61 ERA last year for the Indians, Guardians. And so those are the guys that the Cardinals have. Other moves, and we'll get back to Whitgren and Drew Drew Verhagen in a moment. Carlos Martinez to the Giants on a minor league deal. Don't be upset when Carlos Martinez lights it up for the Giants because everybody who goes to the Giants plays better for them for some reason. They just do. So I'm not... I can't expect him to be, and he'll work out of their bullpen. I expect him to be really good for them. I don't, because when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I know Carlos Martinez might be energized because he's going to a new location. And as you mentioned, the staff there, especially the pitching staff with San Francisco, it's kind of Dave Duncan-esque, right? They they know mm-hmm. how to do a reclamation project. Carlos has always had the physical skills. That's never been the issue. It's staying healthy and it's everything else that comes, that comes with the Carlos Martinez experience. And so we might see it for a little bit in the beginning, but I just think the Cardinals did the right thing knowing that this was the end of the road for him because they've they've learned that they can't yeah. trust him. I don't have any question that it would not have happened here but th- for whatever reason they're kind of like the Cardinals were under La Russa in mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Everybody just goes there and plays better. It's it's a weird thing. They won 107 games last year. And no one expected them to. No, nobody you did. Would look, I think we did the exercise where we looked at their roster yeah. and we were like, who's the star? <laughs> yeah. who is the, how is this happening? Yeah. On Friday, I gave you a list of Cardinal relievers or relievers that I would have liked the Cardinals to have signed. 
And that list included Joe Kelly, who went to the White Sox on a two-year deal. By the way, Michelle, how about this? Tony LaRusso's bullpen now has Liam Hendricks, who was the reliever of the year last year in the American League. Craig Kimbrell, who's going to the Hall of Fame. Kendall Graveman, who, if Hendricks would not have been the reliever of the year, would have been the reliever mm-hmm. of the year in the American League. And now Joe Kelly. Tony who's the most veteran of all veteran managers, is the one guy that can go to his bullpen and not make a mistake. The White Sox must be loading up, though. How, yeah. We don't know how much longer Tony LaRusso is going to want to do this. Maybe forever. Who knows? But they are clearly uh, going for it. 78 years old. No, 70s. How old is TLR? Yeah, he's, he's got some miles. Let's see. Not much Stand tread by. left on the on the Tony tires. He is 77. 77 years old. His birthday's in October. October 4th. So maybe he'll win a series on... October 4th. I mean, maybe. But you're right. They're going for it. And they should. When you have a 77-year-old manager and an owner in his 80s who's, who signed that manager yes. because he wanted to win before he died. Yeah, they're, they're going for it. Adam Adovino was another guy I had on my list. He goes to the Mets one year, $4 million. I also had uh, right-hander Ian Kennedy on my list. He goes to the Diamondbacks one year, $4 million, $4.5 million. So uh, the guys are falling off the board in a hurry. The Twins made a couple of trades over the weekend. Yesterday, trading their young shortstop that they had just gotten from Texas, Isaiah Kiner-Falifa, and Josh Donaldson go to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. Aaron Boone had said Gio Urshela is our starting shortstop about five hours before the trade was made. (laughs) And uh, obviously, as I mentioned, the Twins had traded for Kiner-Falifa on Saturday. But the notable thing here is that with the acquisition of Isaiah Kiner-Falifa, the Yankees no longer in the market for a shortstop, either Trevor Story or Carlos Correa. Which is, I think, where a lot of people expected Trevor Story to land was the Yankees. That seemed Mm -hmm. like the, the most, the streets were talking, right? And that's where we saw most of the connection was Trevor Story to the Yankees. And now I'm wondering, where do Correa and Trevor Story go. The Rockies signed Jose Iglesias and closed the door on Story. The Astros still need a shortstop. Do they bring back Carlos Correa? And does Trevor Story go to the Twins? I don't know. And by the way, John Mozeliak told friend of the show Danny Wexelman on Friday that it wouldn't make sense for the Cardinals to go outside the organization for a shortstop. I know John Mozeliak has closed that door a couple times. Mm -hmm. He's mentioned it a couple times that they're comfortable with the options that they have internally. They're going to give Paul DeYoung a chance to really reclaim his position and Edmundo Sosa obviously right there if he falters. But... I don't know, Randy. This is a different time. It's kind of the wild. It's kind of the wild west, and I still think about the Nolan Arenado connection. I think about the Matt Holiday connection. I think about Trevor Story wanting to get to a place where he can win. I mean, he's looking at his buddy Nolan Arenado, who escaped the Rockies and landed in a place that he obviously loves, and a place where he thinks he can contend for a World Series. Even though we've heard from the man himself that the door is closed until it's. Until we're out there playing ball, I don't know. I'm not closing any doors. Wouldn't you wish Trevor Story would go all Arenado on Mo and send Arenado some videos and say, show this to Mo? How do we know that's not happening? (laughs) It very well could be. (laughs) It might have already happened. College basketball, and we'll hit on this later in the show. SLU is in the NIT. Wednesday night, they'll play at home against Northern Iowa at Chaffetz Arena. Are you okay with your Illinois number four seed against Tennessee Chattanooga Friday at 550? Four seed okay with you? I think it's okay with me. I thought they'd be in that 3-4 range after what we saw on Friday. I think they're deserving of a four seed. And I kind of like that, Randy, for the, for the Illini. After last year with the number ones, uh, with a number one seed, there was a lot of pressure. I think coming in at number four, it's not only a fair seeding, but I think it relieves a lot of pressure from them. Loyola is a number 10 seed against Ohio State. They're also in Pittsburgh Friday morning at 1115, as you, I'm sure, heard over the 
the weekend. Conzo Meyer, Conzo Martin fired by Mizzou. We're going to talk to Gabe DiArmond of PowerMizzou.com about that coming up at 9.15. A stunning development last night from the NFL. I think he took some time away, and I think that with free agency slated to kick off this week, and with 24 Buccaneers players scheduled to be unrestricted free agents and able to enter into agreements starting at noon Eastern on Monday, if Tom Brady was going to return to Tampa and try to keep as many of these players and keep the team intact, the time to make that announcement, if he was sure and his family was good with it, was tonight, or at least before noon tomorrow, when some of these players could leave Tampa. And so he felt the pull to return. And I think it didn't just come tonight. I think he'd been thinking this in previous days. My understanding is he's renewed his lease in Tampa in recent days. The Buccaneers had said they'd leave the light on, and they're glad they did. That's ESPN's Adam Schefter. Michelle, you've been calling this since day one. I just don't understand why Tommy even tried to pretend that he was done. <laughs> After I read the Seth Weckersham book about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, it's better to be feared. Walking away while Tom Brady is still playing at this high of a level is the antithesis to the ethos of Tom Brady. This is a wildly competitive person that has been on the record many times saying, I will not walk away until I can't do it anymore. or Until, until I, I suck, right? Until I can't give it my all. Yeah. This is someone that was in the MVP conversation. This is someone that lost to the inevitable Super Bowl champions in the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that has a lot left in the tank. So when he said he was retiring, I never believed him for one second. I don't know if he even believed it himself. I don't know why he had to pretend and do this whole charade. Maybe it was to get all the specials on TV, mm-hmm. the, all hail the goat. I have no idea, but I was not surprised in the least bit when this news came down yesterday. I'm amazed that it happened this quickly. I mean, the guy couldn't even retire for two months. 40 days. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> so, so, Tom, congratulations on coming back to the Tampa Bay Bucks. Our Jason Tatum Minute. Yesterday, last night, Jason Tatum, the St. Louisan who uh, rides or dies with St. Louis, 21 points, 11 boards, 4 assists in a 95-92 loss to Dallas. And it's the first time this month, Michelle, and here we are on March uh, 14th. We're midway through the month now, and it's the first time that Jason Tatum has not had a spectacular game. He's been spectacular in every other game this month. Isn't that a shame? Because he has set the standard so high <laughs> that anything less than what we've been seeing, we're like, oh, okay. It's yeah. you know, it's it's not what we saw the other day. No. You, come on, Jason. There's more there. Right. Totally. But and he's a stud. One other note for you, and this is going to be a fun day. We're going to be giving away a $50 gift card to our friends at Ballpark Village. It's the reopening of the Budweiser Brewhouse. And later on in the show, you want to stick around with us because you can pick up that $50 gift card later on in the show. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matthew Rocchio is here. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do hit. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman.
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Matthew Rocchio is here. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle, three Hall of Famers have retired from the NFL and made comebacks. Reggie White left the Packers, came back a year later with the Carolina Panthers. Brett Favre retired from the Packers, came back with the Jets and then the Vikings, and now Tom Brady. So start one, bench one, cut one, NFL Hall of Fame comeback edition, Reggie White, Brett Favre, and Tom Brady. Okay. I am going to start Tom Brady because he's the GOAT. I'm going to bench Brett Favre, and I'm going to cut Reggie White. Okay. Because Reggie White actually missed a year, I'm going to start Reggie because the other two never really retired. I'm going to bench Brett Favre because the drama was higher because he retired for four or five years in a row. And I'm going to have to cut Tom Brady. So I'm starting Reggie, going with the Packers, one, two, Reggie, and then Brett Favre. And Brett Favre. And then I'm going to cut Tom Brady because he... 40 days. Come on, Tom. You're better than that. Brett Favre. <laughs> What's Brett Favre doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, what do you think Tom Brady was doing during those 40 days? Do you think he let himself go at all? Do you no. think he had a strawberry bender or he was eating regular ice cream? Do you think he was binging Netflix? Or I, I heard that he went on some trips, but I think that he kind of does mm-hmm. that in the offseason anyway. But I wonder how far he let himself slide or if he did it at all. And I wonder if... He got out on the golf course, and his first day of retirement, he shot an 89. And then on his last day of retirement, he shot a 95. I said, I'm not getting any better in this, at this. I got to I gotta go back to what I do well. Do you think it's because Russell Wilson is on the move, Aaron Rodgers is getting all this attention, and he's looking around at the landscape, and he's like, I'm just as good as these guys. Not what only, am I doing? Not only that, but you see Wilson leave the conference. The Packers are way over the salary cap. They're going to have to get rid of a bunch of players. The Rams are way over the salary cap. They're going to have to get rid of a bunch of players. He probably sees the NFC as a reasonably clear path to the Super Bowl again. And Ryan Jensen returning, obviously, mm-hmm. with the smoke signal that Tom Brady's coming back. He's yeah. secured a center, so he's got, he's got some protection. Um, I would imagine. I would imagine that all of the free agent issues or the question marks that the Bucks have, this is turning a lot of those question marks into exclamation points, knowing that Tom Brady's back. And he, again, came back on a contract where he's getting a lot less money than Aaron Rodgers is. It's funny, Randy. We usually uh, think in the same vein. And I have a start one, bench one, cut one with Tom Brady in mind as well. Okay, let's do it. So start one, bench one, cut one. Marquee quarterbacks making news this offseason. And I want you to think about this mm-hmm. in in this vein. Which one do you think is in the best situation right now? Okay. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. All right. I am going to I'm going to start Brady. I mean, most of his guys have won Super Bowls. They now they have some free agent issues, but apparently they're going to uh, they're going to franchise Chris Godwin. They mm-hmm. lost Ali Marpet to retirement, but I think Brady's surrounding cast is better. Rodgers, because of the salary that he's going to command and them being way over the salary cap, he's not going to have the supporting cast that Brady does. And then at least the guys that Brady is playing with and the guys that Rodgers are playing with have played at a playoff level before. Nobody that Russell Wilson is playing with has been in the playoffs before. So I'm going to I'm going to cut Russell Wilson. I'm starting Brady, I'm benching Rodgers, and I'm cutting Wilson for all the reasons you just illustrated, but also because Russell Wilson's division is going to be such a gauntlet. Oh, yeah. 
he, <laughs> I commend him for wanting to go somewhere, wide open spaces, Rocky Mountain High, whatever. It's going to be a nightmare for him in his own division. Mm-hmm. And the other teams are only getting better. You see Khalil Mack. You know that Spags is going to dial up a bunch of blitzes for mm-hmm. Kansas City. Even the Raiders are going to be tough. So I would say, and the Raiders will go out and get a pass rusher too. I think Russell Wilson, for all of his complaints about the offensive line in Seattle, might get hit as much in that division. If not more. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, your tech 65780. Matthew Rocchio is here. What do we got, big boy? Start one, bench one, cut one. I like this one. Music edition. Change it up. The Beatles, The Doors, Johnny Cash. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this is changing up a little bit. Okay, I'm starting Johnny Cash. Whoa! Because I'm Johnny he's Cash. the coolest. Um, I walk the line. Walk the line. Great I movie. fell into a burning ring of fire. Went down, 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 and the fire got hotter, and it burned, burned, burned. That ring of fire, <laughs> that ring of fire. Voice and angels, like you. Fergie mixed with Jesus, amazing. I'm going to bench the Beatles, and I know that's probably blasphemy for some people that I do, I'm not starting the Beatles, and I'm cutting the Doors because I've never listened to the Doors. I know it's a thing. But. I, I have listened <laughs> to the Doors, but ditto. I'm starting Johnny Cash. Uh, Orange Blossom special. Also, Folsom Prison. You don't want to not start Johnny Cash. (laughs) How about, uh, hold on, before we get to the next one, we've got to do this one. Um, But I shot a man in Reno (laughs) just to watch him die. Um, A man, a boy named Sue. I mean, how can you beat Johnny Cash? Go ahead. All right. Sorry, man. Start with Benjamin. Cut one. uh, NCAA edition here. Coach K, John Wooden, or Bobby Knight. Okay. Uh, That's an easy one. Well, it's easy for me. Yeah. Come on. I am going to start Coach K. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm going to start John Wood. Yeah. I'm going to bench scoreboard. Coach K. I'm going yeah, to cut Bobby Knight. There you yeah, go. same. And scoreboard. You know what I wish coaches would do? And not Seth Davis. Uh, no, it is Seth Davis. Wrote a great book about John Wooden. And he, number one, would prepare his team. He was the quintessential, the hay is in the barn guy. He would just sit on the bench, wouldn't stand unless he was just standing there with his paper rolled up. And he didn't call timeouts. He expected his team to be able to adjust because of what he had prepared them for. And he didn't call timeouts. Now, when you have Luel Cinder, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Walton and Jamal Wilkes and, and the gang that he had... It's a little bit easier to do that, but I think it's really interesting that he wasn't the sort that would rant and rave and call timeouts. How do you think Wooden would translate to today's college basketball scene? If he's going to have the behind the scenes help that he had, but have plausible deniability about, he would be awesome. He'd be great. I think coach, I think players would really like playing for him. Mm -hmm. When you see documentaries about him and you see the reverence with which players have for him, his guys, I think he'd be fine. And now conversely, Bobby Knight would not translate well to today's college basketball No, I, I think Bobby would probably get fired pretty quickly. Did pretty you quickly. see the baseball coach at the University of San Francisco got fired because of a mean culture? Three players said he's mean, so they fired him. Yep. What was Bobby the, not, the not evidence that, that called him mean? Well, the players said that he yelled at him. So because he yelled? Uh-huh. Well, mean culture. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's where we are. If a coach can't yell at you, 
I know that everyone is different and everyone's motivating factors are mm -hmm. different and you need to find what inspires people and how to get the best out of them. But coaches are going to yell. That's part of sports. Yeah. It's just going to happen. Emotions are charged. Sometimes they need to push your buttons and they need to try different tactics to get the best out of you. It's uh, it's remarkable what we have gotten to now. And that was one thing, whether, I don't know if it was Vahe or Benfred, uh, but one of the columns said that players didn't respond to Konzo's. Who could be a nicer guy than Konzo Martin? But they didn't respond to his tough coaching because they just didn't want to be pushed like Konzo pushed them. Konzo Martin. And if you're a coach and you're trying to look at Dick Vermeil, I mean, right. he he pushed guys to their brink so that when it came to the Super Bowl, they were physically ready. This is what coaches need to do. They need to test your limits. They need to make you push yourself further physically and mentally than you believe that you're capable of. So when the pressure is on, Bingo. you've already done it. This right. is how they prepare you for greatness or at least attempt to prepare you yeah, for greatness. It, it's incredible. He must be so different inside the like the video room because if you actually if you actually watch him out there with the like he's so stoic out of practice I yeah. can't imagine a, a player describing him as, as a super tough coach. Right, that seems insane to me. But I have to believe that there's there's some Gene Katie there. Yeah, we just be. we just didn't see it. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks very much for your texts. We do appreciate them. Coming up, Cardinal signing what appears to be low hanging fruit. Are you confusing them with a World Series contender? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In his first meeting with the media for the 2022 season, Cardinal manager Oliver Marmol said, we expect to win the World Series. And he said in talking to players leading up to the start of spring training, they expect to win the World Series. With that as a backdrop, the Cardinals over the course of the last three days have signed former Tiger Drew Verhagen. He comes back to the USA from Japan on a two-year deal. He had been with the Nippon Ham Fighters. How you can leave the Ham Fighters, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he com he went a combined to 13 and 14 with a 3.49 ERA in Japan in 39 games, 208.2 innings. And uh, last year in 96 innings in 20 games for Nippon, he struck out 100 batters while going 5 and 8 with a 3.84. In Verhagen's major league career, Michelle, he has a 5.11 earned run average. Meanwhile, y yes, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was oh, just yesterday, clearing my throat. Sorry. Okay. Yesterday, the Cardinals signed former Indian Nick Whitgren to a one-year $1.2 million contract. He's 30 years old. Last year, 2-9 and nine with one save and a 5.05 ERA in a career-high 60 games for the Tribe, now the Guardians. Meanwhile, over the course of the weekend, as we mentioned earlier, Joe Kelly signed a two-year deal with the White Sox. The Diamondbacks signed Ian Kennedy to do a one-year deal for 4.75. Again, Whitgren gets 1.2. Adam Adovino in agreement with the Mets, one year, $4 million. Brad Boxberger back to Milwaukee for one year and two and a half million. The Cardinals may be right here. And we've talked about it before. The Cardinals have a lot of that smartest man in the room syndrome. Sure. Going. But based on their history and statistics, I think I would take any of the other four over Whitgren and Verhagen. I remember last season when Jay Happ and John Lester were acquired and all of us kind of threw our hands up mm -hmm. and said, what are we doing here, guys? These these two guys are not going to be what you need to fortify your pitching staff. But we were wrong. They they 
outperformed what our expectations were, which is why I'm coming into this with an open mind. However, specifically to Wickren in 60 games, five ERA, two and nine record. Um, it, the numbers aren't great from last season. And he's obviously coming off his most difficult year from a statistics standpoint. And I'm sure that the Cardinals are looking at the skills and hoping that there is a recalibration there. But I just think it's asking your fan base again to put your their faith in you that you have found some diamonds in the rough based on th- that's despite what they're reading. That right. you're right despite what the fans are reading about these two pitchers. Yeah. And by the way, Whitgren has had success at the major league level. Mm-hmm. We're just looking at the snapshot that is the most recent season that he had, which I think is logical. When you look at the last thing you saw, as far as I'm concerned. Now, there are still relievers out there on the market. Archie Bradley, we mentioned him on Friday. Ryan Tapera, the Cardinals have to- spoken to him. They've also talked to Robert Gazelman. But Michelle, they've signed two. I would be mildly surprised if the Cardinals weren't done here, even though they have a roster spot available. In terms of their bullpen, Mm -hmm. I would be surprised and I am not 100% thrilled with the eight relievers that they'll apparently break camp with. Which ones are you not thrilled with? Well, I'm not thrilled with these two signings. I really don't know about Cody Whitley and Ryan Helsley. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm anticipating that one of those will be here. When you look again, and, and I, I think that Alex Reyes is going to be fine, but look at the, the last month that we saw of Alex Reyes. Jordan Hicks isn't pitching. Jordan, they're dreaming if they think Jordan Hicks is going to be available to them for six months. That's just not going to happen. And so you've got Giovanni Gallegos. You've got Cabrera, who is fine. You've got TJ McFarland, mm-hmm. who was really good last year. But after that... When you bring a Reyes or a Hicks or a Helsley or a Whitley into the game or a Whitgren or a Verhagen, do you feel like, okay, we're, we're set here. Our, our eighth inning guy is going to be really solid as we go to the ninth with Gallegos. Couple those feelings with the fact that we have so many question marks surrounding the rotation. Right. Yeah. You, you have to anticipate that at the very best even if you don't have injuries, that this is going to be a five or six inning rotation. Is Miles Michaelis going to give you a bunch of innings? No. Are they going to let Dakota Hudson give him a bunch of innings? No. Flaherty, maybe by midseason, they'll let him build up. Hard to expect it from Wayno, even though we do. He's yeah, I 40 years old. He's and, the only one I have clear-cut expectations for, though, out of the entire rotation. And then Steven Matz is between a five and six inning guy. So you're going to have to get a lot of outs from your bullpen. My guess is that you're going to have to get the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth on a regular basis from this bullpen. You're going to have to get 12 outs a game, I'm anticipating, from the bullpen. And I'm not super confident. And many years ago, and Mo has never lived down the idea because he said it, we're looking for low-hanging fruit. Could there be no, more low-hanging fruit? This is like, this is Randy picking apples at Eckert's, all right? <laughs> the, Verhagen and Whitgren are as low-hanging as it gets. I, I'm not getting on the ladder, Michelle. I, I, I'm, I'm not reaching for Ryan Tapera or Ian Kennedy. I'm... I'm, I'm I, the apple that I get is Drew Verhagen. At least you said you didn't pick it up off the ground and dust exactly. it off. <laughs> At least that's not the analogy that you had. So, our, 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 six five seven eight zero. Oh, I'm almost speechless here. Can you feel good about this? Do you feel like what Ali Marmol said about this being a team that expects to win the World Series? Do you feel great about that statement? Do you agree with him? I don't. Six five seven eight zero. Oh. Yeah. I, I, as far as I'm concerned. If I'm going to pick favorites, 
in the National League, I think that the Giants and Dodgers and Padres are all better. I think that the Braves, even without Freddie Freeman, are better. They're the world champions. I think the Mets and Phillies, and maybe even the Nationals, who signed Nelson Cruz yesterday. Now, in the National League Central, it's the Cardinals and the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Cubs aren't the, the Cubs just bailed on the idea of having Correa or Story as their shortstop. So it's and the Reds traded Sonny Gray, and the Pirates are the Pirates. So the Cardinals will be in the hunt for the National League Central. But are they going to really be in the hunt for the World Series? Wouldn't you like them to add at least one more proven arm? Wouldn't you like to see them go out and get an external candidate to fill that DH spot? Absolutely. And I don't think that they're done. I think the Cardinals will likely make one, maybe two more moves before this is all said and done. But I just, I look back to last season, Randy, and I think for... I mean, June was a terrible outlier. It was just a horrific month of baseball. It was hard Mm -hmm. for us to watch at times. But they had to go on a historic winning streak in order to even be in the position they were in to sneak into the playoffs. I think if you you look at the team at times, they underperformed for not only our expectations, but I would think the talent level. And... I just I know that we've we've heard them referencing that winning streak a lot as this is what this team was capable of. We finally felt like towards the end the team was maximizing their their potential and showing what we expect of them. But I I kind of counter with. But what about the rest of the season? Why are we looking at momentum and you guys getting hot at the end of the year, which Cardinals teams tend to do is mm-hmm. always down the stretch, find a, find a way to get that momentum going and get hot. Why is that what I should look at as the sample size to believe that this team is going to be a World Series contender? I still have questions about the offense. I have no questions about the defense. This team mm-hmm. is as sound defensively as you need it to be. And I think that that's going to hopefully play well into some of these pitching acquisitions that you've made. But I still have questions about them offensively. And to go back to what you just mentioned, we're essentially, not we, they, are essentially throwing out 145 games and focusing in on 17, right? If you're going to look at the the approach the Cardinals are taking heading into spring training, it's, well, we went on a 17-game winning streak in September because... We almost have to throw out the other 145, right? I think they'll they'll probably throw some other games in there because they were in so much of a position to go to the postseason with that 17-game winning streak. But I think they're probably throwing out June. And to me, if I'm a fan, why am I throwing out the season, or excuse yeah. me, the month of the season where you were playing horrific baseball and relying on the month where you were the hottest team in baseball? Right. Which which one's closer to the truth? Right. Well, that's why I say 145. They they won 17 in a row in September. They finished 18 over. They won 90 games. They won 90 and 72 and won 17 in a row in September. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And uh, we're going to come back to this later in the show. And we are going to get to your texts. But coming up next, we want your texts for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Oh. 
Michelle, Matt, Randy, great to have you with us. We need your text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for take it or leave it. Michelle, after their overtime loss last night, the Blues have 76 points, and that's good for third in the Western Conference, second in the division, 13 behind Colorado. Take it or leave it, as we talk about the Blues at the trade deadline, we really don't concentrate enough on the deficiencies of other teams in our conference. Oh, I'll take that. We're, we have blinders on. We only focus on <laughs> on the issues that yeah. we feel like the Blues need to correct. I think there's a lot of fan bases that would like where the Blues are heading into the playoffs. Even though we want them to be perfect, we want them to go get that defenseman. He's still pretty darn good right now. They are, but I think Blues fans know that the window to win even though it's open right now, can be shut in with a quickness. And they really want Doug Armstrong to go out there and fortify this team because you never know what could happen well, next year. Since I was a little kid, Michelle, Blues fans always want a trade made. I've never encountered a Blues fan base until the trade deadline or during the offseason that, that doesn't want to make a move. If they go get a defenseman today... The Blues fan base will want a trade before the deadline. <laughs> but what fan base doesn't want a trade? What right. fan Everybody base does. is, even if their team is uh, sitting in first place, maybe they're a defending champion, what what fan base is really like, no, nah, I don't want any transactions to yeah. happen? No, I, I think everybody does. We love transactions. Yeah, even, even Avalanche fans want a deal right now. Unfortunately, right. any fan base that sees that the trade is with the Blues probably just like, no, <laughs> why do we do this? <laughs> right. So, Randy, Tom Brady's last nine seasons. In 2013, he lost a playoff game. In 2014, he won the Super Bowl. 2015, he lost a playoff game. 2016, he won the Super Bowl. 2017, he lost a playoff game. Guess what happened in 2018? Won the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl. 2019, lost a playoff game. 2020, you guessed it, he won won the Super Bowl. Bowl. 2021, we remember the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost a playoff Mm -hmm. game to the L.A. Rams. Take it or leave it. In 2022, we know what's going to happen. Take it. Yeah, he is. going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's amazing. Field Yates had that on, on and ESPN had it on Twitter and Instagram over the weekend. It just seems like it's written. It's already written. It is. I wonder who he beats in the Super Bowl. Does he beat Mahomes again? I don't know if the Chiefs get there. Even though I, I can never doubt Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Um, Team to watch is the Chargers. Oh, gosh, Justin Herbert. Yep. He's the next big superstar. And their defense is going to be good. You know what I think? I think it's going to be the Bills. Bills are pretty tough, yeah. All right, Matt, what do we have on the text line? So Tom Brady is going to win another Super Bowl. (laughs) Take it or leave it. The Cardinals will sign one or both of Trevor Story and Albert Pujols. Leave it. One or both? There was that report, Randy, that was circulating over the weekends. Cardinals, one of three teams allegedly talking to Mm -hmm. Albert. He had red shoes on when he posted an Instagram photo, Randy. This is done deal already. What are you talking about? He's only played on teams where he wears red shoes. That's all the the shoes he has right now. Cardinals and Angels shoes. That's a fair point. Dodgers. It's a fair point. Okay, the Dodgers, yeah. But he only had one pair that he wore with the Dodgers. And I guess they do have a little red in their uniforms. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. A little red. So he could could wear the red shoes to to pull out the red. I don't think the Cardinals go there. I was surprised to even hear their, their names connected with him at all. Might have been his agent. Maybe he's willing it. That might be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think the Cardinals are telling anybody if they have interest in him. Hmm. I don't know. I. I'm leaving it. This is this. I don't think it's the right baseball move. But this is a franchise that cherishes history, maybe more than any other franchise in sports. Well, let me tell you this. 
and I've said this before, and there's no doubt in my mind, the owner is much more inclined to make an emotional move than the Pobo is. The Pobo is very cool and very calculated and actually said when Albert left for Anaheim and the Cardinals are offered $210 million, Mo said this was an offer that we made that I was very uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. That was absolutely a DeWitt emotional offer. So if they do sign Albert... I believe that it will be at the behest or maybe the insistence of Bill DeWitt Jr. rather than John Mozeliak. But both of those guys are looking at this from different vantage points. Of Mm -hmm. course, Mr. DeWitt wants to win, but Mo is strictly looking at this from a competitive standpoint. Mr. DeWitt is also looking at his bank account grow for people buying tickets and merchandise to see the single greatest player they've likely ever seen in their lives return to St. Louis. But I think that's probably the way he's looking at it is, hey, the single greatest player I've seen play in my life played for my franchise and I want to bring him back for one more round. But we all know that we're not getting that version of Albert Pujols. Right, right. No, this is that's why I say it would be an emotional move. Mm-hmm. I think as much for him as for us. Fair enough. Take it or leave it. The Illini have even one game of less than 35% from three. They will lose in the tournament no matter which round we're talking about. I'm going to leave that. You never know. It's March. You got Kofi. You, yeah, you do. Kofi, Kofi could, could hit 70% against... Well, uh, Tennessee Chattanooga. He can be off night. Yeah. Yeah. And and (laughs) so if if they would hit 32 from three and Kofi goes off, absolutely they can win that game. I was thinking about faces, Randy, that haunt my nightmares Mm -hmm. in March. Sean May is up there. Cameron Crutwig, you remember him? Mm -hmm. Old John Candy from last year. Yeah. I'm just wondering who it's going to be this year. Who who are we adding to the board of March nightmares? Michelle, you're going to win it all this year. Okay, great. I'm glad that you feel that way. There is no nightmare. I don't know, Randy. I was not. Hey, I'm feeling pumped. I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling positive. But Friday was a little disheartening. I'm not going to lie. How do you feel about the color orange overall, Michelle? Just looking at that bracket. A lot of orange, yeah. A lot of orange over on that side in the south. We'll talk about that on Thursday morning, by the way. I'm very pro-orange. Okay, well, you might might not be certain shades of it by the end of the bracket. Take it or leave it. Edmund starts at least 130 games at second base. I'm going to take that gold glove winner, switch hitter. Might not be the leadoff hitter for all 130, but I'm going to say he plays 130 there. That's what, one thing I really want to talk to Danny Mack about today is who does he think is our other candidates to fill that leadoff spot? Do, does he think Edmund is in Sharpie, or could we see some mixing and matching there to give the Cardinals a spark? As you know, I can take or leave the analytic crew. <laughs> yes. I do think that leading off with Paul Goldschmidt would be stupid. I will never abide leading off with Paul Goldschmidt. Never. Same. He's a run producer. He's not a leadoff guy. No, no, I I think that's ridiculous, too. But take it or leave it. You would like to see Harrison Bader get a crack at it. Take it. Yeah, I I absolutely would love to see that. Uh, Take it or leave it. After the underwhelming relief pitching signings this weekend, the Cardinals have an impact move up their sleeves. Leave it. (laughs) That was unfortunately No, I'm going to take it. What if they sign Randy a DH that we're all excited about? They love their guys. They they love Gorman. They love Lars Nutbar. They love Yepes. Yeah. They're going to give those guys the opportunity. And by the, by the time they evaluate those guys, all free agents are going to be gone. All the good free agents. <laughs> if you think about it, getting Juan Yepes three hundred at bats is kind of like making a trade. 
<laughs> you know what's great is a week ago we were so mad at baseball, <laughs> and now here we are again being like, they're not going to make any moves that are worthy of a discussion. No impact moves for this team. This is what you're dealing this with. This is what it is. But don't you feel, doesn't it feel good to be back in this space where we're complaining about moves or oh, the yeah. lack thereof rather than complaining about baseball fighting? I'm just so thrilled that we're back here. Oh, yeah. I've been, I've been practicing how to say DeWallet into a mirror. <laughs> of course. By the way, the Cardinals do have a couple. If they ever get in a fight, if the if the right guys make the team, because we know that Wayno is big, six seven two thirty. TJ Zoich six seven two forty five. They still have Johan Kezade in camp six nine two fifty five. So maybe they could just build a basketball team with their pitching staff. That'd be cool. Yeah. But you know, if Castellanos isn't with the Reds, who are they fighting? That's a good point. Dakota Hudson six five. He's probably. Uh, he, he probably plays the three for you. I wonder who the point guard is. <laughs> He's got the biggest hands. Uh, aside from pie day, it's National Potato Chip Day. Take it Ooh. or leave it. Potato chips are best when served kettle cooked. I like that take. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that too. I like a, a wavy chip. A wavy chip. You know what? It's interesting, Michelle, that you say that because the best served chip is a wavy chip with French onion dip. Ooh, that's pretty that's, good. Uh, that's, that's, now, yes. this could, I don't know if we're t- in the same neighborhood here, because I think that this is kind of a subsect of chips mm-hmm. unto its own, but I would take a tortilla chip over any of those chips. Like, oh. if we're talking vessel for a dip, I love where your head's at, Randy, with the wavy chip and the French mm-hmm. onion dip, but if we're talking chip to dip vessel, give me a scoop all day. How about the uh, the Fritos scoop? You know, I don't love Fritos, and it's not because they're not delicious, but I one time, unfortunately, got sick after oh, I ate some Fritos, okay. so it's just kind of, you know, uh, an emotional scar for me. Yeah. If I think, if I'm going chips with dip, I'm going to go with the Wavy Lays. Now, if I can put cheese on and make a nacho, then obviously tortilla tops the Wavy Lay with French onion dip. There's just something about those waves, though. It feels good in your fingertips when you go to scoop it into the French onion dip. Yeah, French onion dip is great. So good. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And happy National Potato Chip Day. What other days do we have going here? We've got to check that out because National Potato Chip Day is pretty substantial. It's a pretty significant day for us. I think what we need to do since we bring this up every day is we need to make a master calendar so that we can plan in advance and start celebrating these things. Like, for instance, uh, it, by the way, it's 314 Day. Happy 314 Day, oh, St. Right, Louis. Yeah. It's our day today. Yep. Shout out to us. Still got that gooey butter cake going at Chinooks. That's right. Three, for 314, you get two pieces. Us. Shout out to us, 314. Uh, <laughs> but, Randy, we had gotten packages delivered to celebrate 314 yes. Day from our friends over at STL Made. Thank you so much. That was so generous of you. In the package we got, we had some Red Hot Ripplets. And had I known today was National Chip Day, guess what I would have brought in the studio this oh, morning? Red Hot Ripplets. For all of us to enjoy Red Hot Ripplets yeah. on 314 Day. I wish I would have known. Now, keep this in mind, and this is a good thing for Michelle and I. Yes. Number one, it's National Pie Day as well. 314 is, is pie. Right. But today, Michelle, <laughs> is National Napping Day. Oh. <laughs> Of all the things that I wish I could change about myself, and the list is long, you better believe it is, I wish I could nap. Our schedule is brutal sometimes. We get up early, we stay up late to watch games. Randy, I know, can get like a 15-minute power nap Mm -hmm. in, and that can totally change the outlook of your day. I can't nap. Really? The only time I can truly ever nap is usually if I'm on vacation and I'm on the beach and maybe I've had a margarita or three and I can just, you or know, three. in the sunshine, just let it go. Because mm-hmm. you have you have nothing to worry about. But my brain can't shut off to nap. 
So for all of you people out there, all you nappers, just know I envy you. And happy National Napping Day. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to take a look at one region each day leading up to the NCAA tournament. Today is the South region as we bring you today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we're going to look at one region throughout the course of the week. And Michelle, let's start today with the West. And there's a lot of interesting matchups. And Gonzaga heading into this tournament, the number one seed in the West, is a prohibitive favorite to win it all. They are, but it's a tough draw for the Zags. They're going to have some challenges along the way, uh, which we'll go through here in a second. But I still think that they have, they're the top overall seed in the tournament. They obviously have a great chance to repeat. And they'll play Georgia State. That should be a walkover in the first round. But they'll have their hands full in the second round if Boise State knocks off Memphis. I, I... I don't see Memphis as a really quality nine-seed opponent for Boise State. And Boise State's had a really good year. I think they're really flying under the radar. I I like the Broncos, and I would be intrigued by that second-round Gonzaga-Boise State matchup. I would, too. They have five players Boise State does over 6-7. They're a big team, and they play a slow pace, which can be frustrating for a lot of teams. So I have Boise advancing, but when it comes to that Sweet 16 matchup, I just think that Zags offense will be too much for them. Then you've got UConn and New Mexico State, and this is the old 12-5. Everybody looks at that 12-5 upset, and I think this is a 12-5 upset. I I really like New Mexico State. So do I. I have New Mexico State advancing. I mean, they ranked in the top 100 in Kem's Palm's uh, adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. So, and again, you're going to pick a 12-5. You're going to pick a 12-5 mm-hmm. upset. So I have New Mexico State upsetting UConn. Sorry to all my friends in Connecticut who probably won't like that pick. Arkansas from the SEC, and the SEC had six teams, and they were all really highly seeded. Arkansas is number four against the Catamounts of Vermont, and you're wearing your Vermont cap this morning. I am, not because I'm cheering for Vermont, but because it's the first hat that I could find. Okay. So, you know, my house is under construction, and sometimes you just grab what you have available. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we went to Vermont when I was at ESPN, got a free hat. It's a great hat. Uh, but I am actually picking the Catamounts to advance here. So I know that that sounds crazy because it's going to be a 12-13 matchup in that second round, but Vermont is a really strong team, and they They've gotten hot at the right time, and um, I don't know. I just I I see them advancing here, Randy. I don't think Arkansas Arkansas has a four seed. I think that they're primed for an upset. We got a chance to see Arkansas against Mizzou, and it's not forty minutes of hell. It's not what they used to be, but they're really deep and they can run a team. And the one concern I would have about Vermont against Arkansas, and the reason that I'm picking Arkansas, is because I think that Arkansas can wear them down. Well, Vermont had a strong season, 17-1 and in conference play, mm-hmm. and they had a really great outing in their conference tournament. They outscored their opponents by a combined 110 points. Impressive. So they're, they're hot at the right time. All right, you've got Rutgers-Notre Dame as a play-in game against Alabama, and the Crimson Tide got off to a great start, had a lull. They were okay down the stretch, but if you look at the, the first half of Alabama's season as opposed to the second half, they weren't even close in the second half to what they were early on. So I have Rutgers 
winning that game, and I have Rutgers beating Alabama. I do too. Same thing. I, and maybe it's because we've seen them a lot during Big Ten play. Obviously, me being an Illinois girl, I've seen mm-hmm. Rutgers. They they upset Illinois. They've taken down a lot of ranked opponents this year. I think Rutgers is a dangerous team. Texas Tech is a three seed. They haven't lost much since they lost to their coach, Chris Beard, to Texas. And Texas Tech takes on Montana State. That's a 3-14 matchup, and that should be a cakewalk for Texas Tech. I have Tech advancing as well. Michigan State and Davidson. I, I was saying to my family over the weekend in the A-10 tournament, man, Davidson could win a game. And I think this is a year where Davidson can knock off Michigan State. I have Michigan State advancing, and maybe it's because I've seen them a lot in Big Ten play, and maybe it's because I really want that Tom Izzo-Coach K matchup in the second round. And Duke will take on Cal State Fullerton, the number two seed Duke. They, they should win that going away. Yes. If they don't, then we got problems. Big time, but I, I think that they're safe. <laughs> All right, so we both have Gonzaga and Boise State in round two. Correct. I have the Zags advancing. You? I am going to go with the top seed as well. I, I have them going pretty far. Me too. Michelle, you have Vermont winning in the first round. I have Arkansas winning in the second round. After beating Vermont, I have them beating New Mexico State. I have, obviously, Vermont advancing to play New Mexico State. And I think in that battle, I have the, the Catamounts advancing. Oh, I have, a, Matt, I have Vermont Matt loves in the, the Sweet Catamounts. I love the Catamounts yeah. this year. They're I, a good I, team, I, right? If it wasn't the Zags as the number one seed, I honestly would pick them to beat... Uh, I'd pick them to beat Arizona and Kansas if it was that one seed matchup coming up the next round. But the fact that it's the Zags, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to... I think they're, their run's going to stop there. John Becker's a really good coach at first. They're good. He's a really they're good, good coach. Good. Who do you guys like between Texas Tech and uh, we both have Texas Tech Rutgers, right? Yes, and I have Texas Tech advancing. I do too. I have. I, here's my thing about Rutgers: if it wasn't a play-in game and they were in any bracket but the West, I think honestly I, I'd go with Rutgers. They, they're so good at home; they're great when they're on mm-hmm. the East Coast. But you take them off the East Coast, Rutgers kind of just shrivels up a little bit away. And so, in, in the way that uh, you know a team like Boise State really benefits from the bracket in that way, I think Memphis got really kind of screwed. Especially it's the play-in game too; they can't even get settled. Yeah, right. And then Duke. And I have Davidson. Uh, you have Michigan State, Michelle. I've got Duke over Davidson. I have Michigan State over Duke. Wow. <laughs> I think that there's going to be a lot of pressure on this Duke team to make a run for Coach K's final hurrah. And going against a coach like Tom Izzo, I think that this Michigan State team is going to be primed for the upset. Wow. I, I like that a lot. Okay, so that brings us to the regional semifinals. I've got Gonzaga advancing over Arkansas, and I've got Duke advancing over Texas Tech. So I've got the top two seeds coming out of uh, this region playing for the championship. So you have Gonzaga and Texas Tech in the Elite Eight? Yes, I do. So do I, and I have Gonzaga advancing to the Final Four. And I do too. Matt, do you have Gonzaga? Uh, no, my, yeah, my Elite Eight's uh, the, the number one offense in, the, in college basketball, the Zags, versus the number one defense in college basketball, Texas Tech. Zags come out on top. All right, so there you go. There you I have just it. think Gonzaga is the top overall seed for a reason, and even though some of these matchups could be particularly tricky for them, I I think that that offense prevails. It's a remarkable program. When you look at all the mid majors that are playing among the sixty eight in this tournament, Gonzaga is the only one you say, okay, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it to the final four. Every other mid major would be a surprise if they made it to the final four. It would absolutely. They're they're. On a different tier, Gonzaga. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's Matt. And coming up next, we're going to talk some blues hockey. Uh, Pretty darn good weekend with three out of four points against Nashville and Winnipeg. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Sliman Brothers, your local appliance expert. Online at slimanbros.com. The St. Louis Blues fall last night in overtime to Winnipeg after uh, an impressive win on Saturday against Nashville. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, joining us now as uh, the Blues sit in second place in the Central, third place in the West. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm sharpening my dad skills this morning. Uh, I got up. And uh, there's a note from my daughter who left for school that said, my necklace fell in the bathroom sink. Can you try and get it out? <laughs> I said, of course I can. So, <laughs> How's that going? So well, it's it's going fine. It's just, you know, there's, <laughs> when you have daughters and the amount of hair that gets down a sink, oh, you yeah. actually oh, have to go remove that trap. Removing that trap is just not a uh, an enjoyable experience. No, but, uh, but it uh, has to be done. Well, it has to be done. You have to say, you have to save the necklace, uh, and as you know, it's become an absolute work of art to be able to untangle those, you know, those necklaces and stuff for your kids. So I'm glad that I, I mean, I used to be an absolute pro at the claw machine, like in the front of a Denny's, <laughs> you know. So I'm using, I'm putting those goods. Everybody said, "Why would you keep doing that?" Well, I'm putting those good skills to use this morning. Well, I want to ask Curbs and Randy this. You guys are both excellent girl dads. What's a skill that you now have as a girl dad that you didn't have earlier in your life? Something that you had to acquire to help your daughters hmm uh i got three of them okay right? go ahead three of them are no-brainer uh in the earlier years uh I-, I could i could get a barbie doll dressed with my eyes closed like they come <laughs> to the side of the bed dad can you yeah i could i could get that thing dressed with my eyes uh, all right n- number two uh you know, number two is like i just said and this is an important one some of those cheap necklace chains you know from all that jewelry and stuff those things tangle up you get a pair of pinch nose pliers or two of those, and I've I've become a pro at untangling the necklaces. And then three, I'm telling you, and this is in a house of uh, three girls, a wife, and and two dogs that are also female dogs. <laughs> I know we have a boy fish, right? My listening skills, my listening skills are through the roof, right? And my, my and I've learned, you know, and I and I finally just asked the question. I go, is this a dad reply or a dad listen moment? And and once we get that answer, we're good. Yeah, that's good. Curbs, I'm going to go with you with the the jewelry thing because I get that one uh, on a semi-regular basis. Hey, can you untangle this? Like I'm I'm the one with the biggest hands and the worst vision. <laughs> but I, I get asked to do the 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 jewelry thing. Uh Curbs, let's hey, talk- listen real quick. Real quick. I, about a, I don't know, about 2 months ago, Ava comes in. Christy's out of town with the other two girls. And and Ava, she's she's my 11-year-old. She comes in and she has a comb tangled in the front of her brains like nothing or veins easy to get the word out Chris bangs that, that you that you've ever seen and I'm like how did you do this she managed to like she brushed them down and then decided to start twirling her head like I don't know she was dancing to, to something and this thing was so bad I literally had to get cutters and pliers and so I didn't cut the hair was just taking this thing and breaking this comb into about a hundred little pieces till it was free it was one of them like I mean it was one of those where, again, if it was my mom who had had nine kids, she'd have just cut your bangs and said, deal with it. But I took the time to, uh, <laughs> to, to pry it apart. Oh, man, that was something. Well, Curves, I'm going to try to connect the two. Do you think that the defense situation, particularly Marco Scandella, is a knot and a necklace that Doug Armstrong is going to have to try to untie before the trade deadline? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a fair question, but I don't know that I'd necessarily pin it at all and say, uh, you know, Marco Scandella, I, 
I just I look at this weekend, and we had back to back games where your goaltender played really well, and and you're giving up four goals, and and in both games, you know, and like I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, like we can't keep talking about goaltenders and a goaltending problem here. I mean, I thought Jordan Bennington played a pretty good game. I thought Billy Huso played a really good game. And you're still giving up seven goals over those last two games. Uh, just defensively, I don't know, like, you get the puck in the corner and you just slide it to the middle of the ice to the blue line. Um, you know, you've got the puck on the power play. You're not getting it up off the glass. And it's, you know, like, like Colton Pareko's pass to, I believe, Brandon Saad. I don't know if Brandon Saad was expecting that play. So there's some of that predictability, that accountability that you hear talked about all the time that just isn't happening the way that it it's supposed to happen. And you can see what happens there. If, if a play is made and, and a forward is expecting it to go off the glass, but it doesn't, that causes problems, th- things like that. So, yeah, I, I still think that there are some defensive issues that, that have to be addressed here. And uh, we'll know over the course of the week. Now, I've talked to a couple people that said so far, you know, from not just the Blues, but around the league, especially in the Western Conference with even Winnipeg, you know, being just five, six points out of a playoff spot, that uh, the, the phones have been kind of quiet so far. That's interesting. Curbs, meanwhile, when you look at uh, last night, you, you'd love to give the Blues the benefit of the doubt because it was their third game in four nights, but it was Winnipeg's third road game in four nights. So even though the Blues go into the third period with the lead and you say, okay, well, they might be fatigued, Winnipeg was in a similar situation, although they didn't play on Saturday. Yeah, and, and you know what, Randy? Uh, look, these guys are conditioned enough. I, I, I watched that game last night, and, and what, what struck me is the fact that that used to never that, – that, that over the last couple of years has not been an issue. The second game in back-to-backs, that's when you dominated teams. That's when you really took it to teams. And the Blues this year are 2-3-2. Two, two. You know, I mean, we're finding pretty good reasons why this team hasn't won this game or surrendered this lead or surrendered that. And in the end, it just comes down to execution. And, and we're not just always talking to the young players. Look. When you're relying on younger guys, three, four-year players, to play major roles with your team, whether it be, say, Amikola playing in the top pairing with Pareko, whether it be, you know, the the added roles of, of Kairou, you know, and Thomas, you know, back-to-back games, you know, in overtime with Kairou and Thomas where they're on the ice for the, for the game-deciding goal against, right? You're going to have those growing pains, and the only way to get through them is that guys have to learn, and that's, that's the challenge. So you're going to lose some games because of that. But what we're seeing right now is they're losing some games because of the veterans not making plays, and mm-hmm. that's that's what that's what makes you you know open your eyes. Now look, and I know I look, it's not all bad. You're in second place. You've got a three point lead on the other teams. You're just in a dogfight, and when you're getting good enough goaltending to win, you've got to find a way to make it happen. And 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 you've just got to make better plays. This team is well coached. They're well prepared. Um, they, they just need better execution, and, and I don't think excuses of fatigue or any of that stuff uh, really should be part of it. Uh, Curbs, it was a disappointing loss yesterday, even though the Blues did gain, gain a point, but I guess one of my big takeaways over the past three games is after that four-game losing streak where the energy oftentimes wasn't there for the Blues, I really appreciate the way that they came out from an energy standpoint the past three games. Is that a takeaway that you have as well? Well, I think the important thing, it is, and I think the important thing is look at the level of competition they're playing again. And that, that to me, is is the big deal there. But I, I just think that you played so many games in a row against the Eastern Conference, and they were so many of the bottom dwellers that I think it's hard to keep you know, the game sharp. It's just because you're, you're playing teams that they're, they're not as good, 
They're not as structured. The games get scrambly. I, I'll guarantee you our players will tell you that at times it's, it's easier to play the Nashville Predators than it is the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, and, and, and it's easier to play Colorado than it is the Ottawa Senators. And, and because you know what's coming, you know the style. And I think that, that the Blues kind of have marked well and gotten up well for that. It was a, a heck of a game in Nashville. Both teams are good. Both teams playing with so much on the line. I mean, what a first-round matchup that could end up being. And then, uh, you know, again, I, I, a, a solid effort and a pretty good effort last night against the, the Winnipeg Jets. Just had some moments of, of lack of clarity with some bad execution. But that's going to keep going. You've got Pittsburgh coming in on, on Thursday. You'll go to Columbus. They're better than the record really shows they are. That East is just weird, the separation between the uh, eight and the ninth spot. And then, and then you, you're going into Washington. So you're going to have to keep that level up if you're going to continue to run and hold on to second place. Curbs, I have a tendency, because I'm, I'm rather optimistic, to focus on the positive statistics for the Blues. But one thing that kind of stands out for me is that for a team built on puck possession, they're 18th in the league in face-off percentage, face-off win percentage at 49.3. And that's, that's not a great way to possess the puck is when you're less than 50% winning face-offs. Well, and that's a, that's a bit of a staggering stat, Randy, when you consider the fact that over the last three years, it's a team that's typically been top five. Mm-hmm. And that has been a problem. They lost both overtime faceoffs last night, uh, two or three of them, as a matter of fact. And, and th- that's a big difference. They never got except the one possession of the puck in overtime. That's one of the reasons that this Blues has had they, They've had a dismal one and six record in overtime. And, and, Face-off wins and possession is a big part of that. Without a doubt, the face-offs have been a lot worse this year than they have been, you know, in, in other years. And, you know, again, now Robert Thomas has had a pretty good year on the face-off compared to his, his numbers. Ryan O'Reilly's are pretty good. You just haven't had the consistency, I think, the rest of the way through the lineup. And, uh, and, and it, it's a bit of an issue here. So, and that, what does that leave? Well, you lose the face-off that has you defending a little bit more, doesn't it? And if you're struggling defensively as a team, you know, you're going to pick the puck out of your net a couple of times, and and, and that's what's happened to this team. Yeah. One final thing, Curbs, you mentioned to the veterans. David Perron has gotten hot. Well, there are some veterans that are struggling for the Blues. Perron has picked up his game here in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think he's taken a little bit of time to get over that concussion, that injury, but he's kind of back to winning the, uh, the, the, the battles along the boards, which is the key to the success of his game, and then it's resulting in goals, and that's that's really good to see. The other story, guys, and this I, I think it's a great one. It, it's, it probably deserves more attention, but the season that Vladimir Tarasenko is having is a really doggone good one. It is. And, and yeah, look, he, he's not going to hit 40 goals, but, but he has really done some great stuff this year. And for him over the last two games, he needed two points against Nashville, and he tied Pavel Dimitra for, uh, for sixth all-time on the Blues scoring list. He gets three more points last night now has 496 points as a blue. That ties him with Alexander Steen for fifth all-time, which, by the way, that I mean, again, when Alexander Steen retired, he was fifth all-time in scoring for the Blues. Uh, just just another thing in Steener's hat there. But, uh, but Vladimir Tarasenko is now tied with him. So he's four points away from the 500-point plateau, and it's, it's been a heck of a year for him, too. Those are two really good veterans that the Blues have relied on, he and David Perron. No doubt. Curbs, enjoy your uh, couple of days off here. The Penguins in town on Thursday. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. 
All right, guys. Have an awesome week. You too. That is the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber and again, the Penguins in town Thursday night, 6 o'clock with Alex Ferrario's pregame 7 o'clock faceoff here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. The fight is next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. This Monday, let's welcome in Randy's challenger, who's going to take him on in the sports trivia competition. David is with us on 101 ESPN. Good morning, David. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good morning. How was your weekend, David? You do anything fun and exciting? Oh, I worked all weekend. That was fun and exciting. Yes, it is. What do you do for work? I run a Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Oh, delicious. I'm assuming you get free burgers and fries. Everybody gets... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's a great place to work. Okay, David, good luck to you in taking on Megamind this morning. Thank you. All right, let's jump in. Question number one, who was the last team that Tom Brady beat in his NFL career, playoffs included? Was it the Philadelphia Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys, or the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, two years ago... The last team that, that he beat in his career, including the playoffs. So it doesn't have to be oh, a playoff in game, career. just including a playoff game. Yep. Uh, uh, Forget Philadelphia. it. Philadelphia. Okay. Final answer? <clears throat> yes. Got it. All right. When Stephen Curry led Davidson on their Cinderella run in the 2008 tournament, in what round did they fall 59 57 to Kansas? Was that in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight? Or the final four? The Elite Eight. Question number three for you, David. What school is the last to win back-to-back Final Four championships? Is it UNC, Florida, or Villanova? Final Four championships? Does that mean the national championship? Yeah, the NCAA, the NCAA championship. Oh, Sorry. okay, yeah. I needed a clarification on that, too. So what school is the last to win back-to-back NCAA championships? Sorry. All right, give me give me the choices again, please. Correct. Um, I'm just going to read the whole thing again. What school is the last to win back-to-back NCAA championships? Is it UNC, Florida, or Villanova? Florida. And other than Fernando Tatis in 2021, only one other Padre has led the National League in home runs. Who was it? Was it Greg Vaughn, Adrian Gonzalez, or Fred McGriff? Greg Vaughn. Okay, checking our score here. Confirmed. Waving in Randy. David. Sure, I will write about Final Four there for the third one. That's okay. I will just Ron Burgundy anything. I'll read whatever you write on this on the sheet. I was I'm pretty sure that was a placeholder because I put in some weird thing that didn't roll off the tongue earlier and I'm working on my phrasing. I don't usually get a chance to read these before we go live, so I will Ron Burgundy. I've been having a anything. phrasing issue. Lately. I just read what's on the sheet. Randy, yeah, say good morning to David. Thing. David, good morning. How are you? 
I'm great. Excited to be on the show, and thank you. Listen to you a long time, Randy. I appreciate that very much. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, thanks for playing today. We do appreciate it. I think I got a chance. The questions were difficult. I think you got a chance, too, David. Randy, you know about Ron Burgundy and things. We're out now, brown cow, Mm -hmm. right? We do that sometimes. Scotchy, scotch, scotch, scotch. <laughs> Milk was a terrible choice. All right, Randy, question number one. Who was the last team that Tom Brady beat in his NFL career, including the playoffs? Just in any game, regular season, playoffs, who's the last team he beat? It would have been the Eagles, I believe. Let's see, Eagles. Yeah, it would have been the Eagles. When Steph Curry led Davidson on their Cinderella run in the 2008 tournament, in what round did they fall, 59-57, to Kansas? I think they were an Elite Eight team. I'll say they they dropped the game in the Elite Eight. Randy, what school is the last to win back-to-back NCAA championships? Mm, I should know this right off the top of my head, but I don't think it's Duke. Uh, who did somebody did it recently? I thought. Uh, just in for the sake of time, I'll do the lifeline. UNC, Florida, Villanova. Villanova won one and lost one, so I'm going to go Florida. Do 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 do. Go Gators. So I'll go Florida. Okay. And other than Fernando Tatis in 2021, only one other Padre has led the National League in home runs. Who was it? I think Greg Vaughn had a big year for them. I think he might have hit 53 for the Padres. Nate Colbert back in the day, St. Louis and Nate Colbert. little aside, uh, the Cardinals had a pitcher... I think it was Steve Mura who uh, was taught, asked about the tradition of Cardinal baseball. He said, in St. Louis, tradition is Stan Musial coming through the locker room to shake hands. In San Diego, tradition is Nate Colbert coming through the locker room to sell you a used car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Hilarious. So I, I'm going to go with Greg Vaughn. David, Randy, we have a tie. Mm. We have a tie on this Monday. Both of you got three correct. You both had an excellent showing in this fight. But we're headed to the tiebreaker round. David, here is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. As I'm reading it, Randy's going to write his answer down on a yellow legal pad that he's mm-hmm. furiously trying to find a blank page in. Um, you're going to get first crack at it. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. Then Randy will share with us what he's written down on the legal pad. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Okay. David, are you ready? I'm ready. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Gentlemen, here is your tiebreaker question. How many touchdowns did Kurt Warner throw in his St. Louis Rams career? Oh, my God. I was at every game, too. Hold on. Okay. Go ahead, David. Take your time. Do the math. How many touchdowns did Kurt Warner throw in his St. Louis Rams career? Randy furiously writing down. Oh, oh scratch me now. 99 to 2003. Randy, bottom one? Yes. Okay. Randy's answer is in. David, whenever you're ready, sir. 78. David says 78. Randy Carricker says? 83. 83. Three. Close, both of you in the same ballpark here. But one of you is closer to the pin. Is it Randy or is it David? Do we have an upset on a Monday? Matt, let him know. 
the winner and still champion of the fight, oh! Randy Carriker. Just win, baby. David, I'm so sorry. Randy closest to the pin on so the tiebreaker. 43 and 36 in the first two years. So I, I just guessed four in the rest of his career here. We will share it here in a second. Let's run it back to the top, though. The last team that Tom Brady beat playoffs included was the Philadelphia Eagles. Steph Curry led Davidson on their Cinderella run in the 2008 tournament. They fell 59-57 to Kansas in the Elite Eight. The school that was the last to win back-to-back NCAA championships was Florida, 06-07. And other than Fernando Tatis Jr. in 2021, the only other Padre that has led the National League in home runs was Fred McGriff, who did it in 92 with 35. Greg Vaughn has the biggest Padres number, but it was in 1998. Okay. There you go. That's not a good year to have the biggest number. (laughs) No, both Greg Vaughn, Randy. Yeah, you both had the same answer. Tiebreaker question. Both... In your wheelhouse, guys. Both of you, obviously, big St. Louis Rams fans. David said he was at every game. Randy, I'm assuming you were at every game. Yes, ma'am. Every I single was. game. How many touchdowns did Kurt Warner throw in his St. Louis Rams career? David guessed 78. Randy guessed 83. The correct answer, guys, is 102. Wow. 102 touchdowns. Can't forget about those 21 in the in the middle. Oh, yeah, 2000. I forgot about 2000. There you go. David, excellent fight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We hope you have a great Monday. Thank you very much. You guys have a great day. You You too. too. Thank you very much. David on 101 ESPN. Good fight. Good stuff. I'm surprised you didn't know that number. Uh, I I left out 2000. Yeah, I thought you'd have at least nine. I thought your guess would be at least in the 90s because of the, you just get those three first, you get those three big years and they get you to 90 pretty quick. You're just such a St. Louis Rams historian and a Kurt Warner historian that I just assumed that all of those things are at the, but this is, again, you've raised the the standard, Randy. Megamind is at such a high standard that I just assume you know all these things off the top of your head. Here's the thing. I I should not be leaving years out. (laughs) (laughs) But you still won the fight, Randy. Congratulations. Coming up up Danny Mac with his Monday visit on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals with their first workout today down in Florida. And uh, Michelle and Randy head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for our Monday visit with the voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin, who joins us uh, every Monday here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well. We get to talk baseball finally. <laughs> finally, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes. a, that's a good thing. It is, man. It was... Uh, you know, I, I think they were running out of runway, honestly, to to get that deal done, to get a full 162 in. And if they didn't get it done that day, I, I, uh, I'm not sure what we're uh, talking about today. I, I wouldn't be sure how long this thing would have lasted. So I'm I'm really pleased that it got done, and and thankful and happy for all the fans to have baseball back in a full season back this summer. Dan, I do want to give the Cardinals credit. Over the years, they've done a really good job of signing people that we really didn't give them a lot of credit for signing. Carlos Villanueva had a really good year. Bud Norris had a really good year for the Cardinals. They go out and sign a pitcher who had been with the Tigers, who has a five-plus ERA in the majors, and they sign Nick Whitgren, who has been good in the past but had a really bad year last year. I just want to get your impressions of the Cardinals' roster moves so far. Well, the first one is a guy that probably has Matt Slater all over it, and Matt is a guy that goes over to Japan and uh, will look at the KBO in various leagues over there and try to find some hidden gems like uh, Miles Michaelis, uh, obviously KK. I, I, it's 
I, I think the verdict is still out of what kind of pitcher he would have been in the major leagues. I mean, he had a, a the shortened season of 2020, and then last year was up and down. It really wasn't a fair shake for him. And Sung Wan Oh was another guy that they got. So Matt Slater has done a really good job of, of going over there and scouting and finding those kind of players. And if you look at the pitcher that they got, <laughs> he's a guy that is a very good sinker, probably a ground ball guy. And I would assume that the majority of guys that they're looking for now – more than ever, not that you always don't want strike throwers, you, you certainly do, but more than ever, after learning a lesson last year, you've got to have guys that throw strikes, and if you can have a guy that's got a good sinker to put the ball on the ground, you're probably going to have pretty good success. So that is probably the direction that they would go with some of these signings. Dan, spring training is always an exciting time for fans because they get a first look at what the team might look like. But I think this spring training is interesting in a lot of ways, but particularly because it's the first time we're going to get to see what Ali Marmol is going to look like as the Cardinals manager. It's a it's a good time in spring training for the manager to start to put their fingerprints on what the characteristics of their team will look like. So what do you expect an Oliver Marmol spring training to look like? Well, it's, it's different. Uh, I'm sure that they had to completely scrap what they would do in the past. And usually there's a guy like an Ollie in his previous role that would run and have it kind of mapped out. It's a collection of Mike Maddox. They meet before and after the workouts every day, and it's like a spreadsheet. You know, it's they run it like a business. It's, okay, this, this selection of players has done this. They're going to do that tomorrow. We're going to have this group do this today. This group does that tomorrow. Uh, bullpens, BP. Uh, then you meet with the medical team and find out, you know, are, are guys, as Tony would say, ouchy or not. They don't have time, you know, to figure that out. It's Normally you have plenty of time and days building up before you play these games. And they don't have that. Like, guys got in last night, and I'm sure many of them were probably already in, but... Uh, then you have to go through your medicals. So you got to get your, basically, you know, make sure that you're okay. Then with them not being able to know what was going on with some of the players that had injuries, you're finding out about that and getting them a game plan. So it's really not a, uh, I would imagine, a normal spring training in that regard of being able to completely map out what you want to do and then game start this Friday so it's uh, it's off and running. I'm sure he's addressing the team this morning, and then they're trying to get as much work as they can in and prepare for April 7th, which for I'll, I'll say this. For Ali, at least, he knows these guys, right? I mean, and the roster, Michelle, for the most part, is set. So it's not like he's walking into a new team, doesn't know the players, uh, or at least hasn't met the players, that kind of thing. This is sad. I mean, you know who's going to be in your one through nine for the most part every day. So you're figuring out your bullpen, you're making sure guys are healthy, and you're trying to map up a, map, map out a schedule to get them ready for April 7th. So I would imagine this isn't quite as hard for some, but still not easy. And, and Dan, Ali Marmol has not minced words with what he expects from this team. He says that the team expects to win the World Series. Is that a bold statement, or you think a realistic view of what this team is capable of? Well... I wouldn't want him to come out and say, I hope we get to the first round of the playoffs. So, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so I, I, I think, though, um, to even take it further, though, this is a championship team. Um, it, it's got the makings of it. Now, I, I always love what Mo says. You know, he says, our team is not going to be the team you see at the All-Star break, nor will it be the team that more than likely, likely that you see at um, the trade deadline. So, 
the, the I, I think the nucleus is really, really good, and then you, you kind of find out what you have in some of the other spots that you have question marks with, like Alex Reyes, Jordan Hicks, your DH. I, I think those are some big questions going into the season. But uh, generally speaking, it's it's a pretty darn good team and should win a lot of games. Dan, you mentioned that uh, they likely have their, their one through nine. If you had to guess right now as to the DH on April 7th, what would you think? Mix and match, Randy. I, I think there won't be a... Uh, DH that's in there every day. Now, I'm, I'm saying that minus Nolan Gorman. Now, if Nolan Gorman comes north with the club, I think he's the guy. Um, and I think they're going to give him every shot. I think they want to see what he looks like here in the first uh, you know, handful of games and then continuing to, to throw him out there and, and to see if he looks like, okay, we he needs more seasoning or he's overmatched, which I doubt that he's going to look like that. But if he's the guy and he comes north, then it's him every day. But then after that, I would say you're probably mixing and matching with uh, with your bench. Same question, Dan, but about the leadoff spot. Do you have Tommy Edmond and Penn there, or do you think that there, this is an opportunity for the Cardinals to try someone else to spark that lineup? Well, you mentioned Ali Marmol earlier, and I think that we're going to see variations of lineups. And um, I think that's one of the things that they wanted to get with him is that maybe incorporate some of those analytics that say this is a good guy to get up here this is why we going to we're going to bat this guy fifth and so my point is um i think Tommy Edmond will get a crack at it i think Dylan Carlson we could see him in the leadoff spot and i i also believe that Harrison Bader will be up there too especially if there's left-handed pitching um i i could see Bader being one of those guys that uh, gets a chance to, to bat leadoff. So I, I do think that they're going to mix and match a little bit with their lineups as well. Danny, a couple more things. Number one, a couple of years ago during the regular season, the Cardinals only played teams in the central time zone. And they, they got kind of boring. Do you think it makes a difference when you're only playing, what, 15, 18 games that you're only playing four other teams in spring training? Well, I, it's a good question. I, I don't. I, I think because your your teams are... And, and here's the reason why. Like, you're supposed to bring, I think it's five to six major leaguers in your lineup for every game. And, and the reason that you do that is that you're selling tickets, and people that buy those tickets, Major League Baseball wants them to be able to see some of the regulars that you might see in the regular season. So I, I think it's just a chance to get work. Um, the one thing that you probably want to avoid is that if you're going to see, like, one of these teams uh, early in the season, then you would avoid having a starting pitcher go against them. And that happened a couple of times during the, the spring training last year because you were going to see somebody early, and I can't remember who it was, but they were careful about that. But I do think it's just more of trying to tune things up, and, and if you're going to see this team, you're going to see them, but it might not be till the end of the season. So you're, you're overly cautious, I think, if you see them in the beginning, but not so much at the end. And finally, when you look at the Reds uh, getting rid of Sonny Gray, to, to man, me, man. and I don't know if they'll bring Castellanos back. It doesn't seem like they, they no. would be in the, in the mood for that. The, the Cubs don't appear as if they're interested in spending money. Do you, do you think this, right now at least, looks like a two-team race? I look at it as the Cardinals and the Brewers in the Central. Absolutely. I mean, if the Brewers get some type of offense, they because they, they've got to have that. I mean, we know they've got the pitching. Now, Hunter Renfro has been added. We'll see what he can do. But uh, I'm with you, Randy and Michelle. I, I think it's a two-team race. And if, if the Cubs went out and got 
Correa and Rizzo and spend a bunch of money in that regard, I'd say, well, now it's a little different story and, and they're more competitive. And I don't see Castellanos going back to Cincinnati. And by the trade of Sonny Gray, they, they've got three guys in the rotation that they need to fill. Um, and then Pittsburgh's in a rebuild. So absolutely, I, I think it's the, the Cardinals in, in Milwaukee right now on paper, but uh, we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I, I do think it's it's those two teams. And who knows what the Brewers do with Hayter. You know, they could move him. Yeah. And that makes a different uh, uh, makes it a different story as well. But uh, we'll see what that roster looks like on opening day. Daniel, it's always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great day and a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. You guys are the best. We'll see you next week. See you. That is Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Tom Brady's back. 40 days of retirement. So is this going to affect his legacy? We're going to go all in on embracing debate next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union, here for St. Louis, here to help you achieve more with your money. But I think there's an important choice for me to make, you know, and I think the choice is, you know, everything certainly comes at a cost. And the cost is, what am I missing out on other aspects of my life? And things that are, as you get older, you experience things uh, that are outside of the sport that demand a level of attention and energy that football has always gotten. And, uh, you know, it's time for me to commit to those types of things. The commitment to the family isn't that great at the moment. <laughs> Tom Brady, that was his retirement announcement with Jim Gray 40 days ago. Last night, Brady tweets, These past two months I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates and I love the, my supportive family. They make it all possible. I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa. Unfinished business. LFG. That's L. Blank. Let's blanking go. He's ready. So He's back. Yesterday, everyone's on Twitter. They're checking out the bracket reveals, and then boom, Tom Brady swoops in. He completely disrupts Selection Sunday with this news, and everyone's quote tweeting his announcement saying, "Whoa! I can't believe it. I'm shocked." I'm shocked, not that Tom Brady is coming back, but that anyone ever believed he was actually done. (laughs) Who really believed this man was done? He never put in his retirement papers. If he was actually serious about retiring, don't you think he would have put it to bed immediately? He would have tied up every loose end. He would have said, I'm completely done. Here's the evidence. We know that Tom Brady is never going to walk away from this game until he physically can't do it anymore. And physically, this man still has it, Randy. Forget Mm -hmm. the age. Forget the commitment because it's there. He is a guy that went 13-4 and last year. He led that insane comeback down from 24 points to tie the game versus the Rams in the playoff. They lost on a last-second field goal, and the Rams went on to win the Super Bowl. And he led the NFL in passing yards and touchdown passes last season. He still has it. He's been in the MVP conversation. And I just don't know why anyone who's paid any attention to the type of person that Tom Brady is would think that when his team is still in a position to win a Super Bowl and he's in a position to still play at the most elite of levels that this man would walk away there will 
apparently not be a time where there is enough. Pretty much every other athlete, even Brett Favre, eventually said enough is enough. But with Brady, and you're right, he's still playing at an extraordinarily high level. He just he can't get enough of this. He'll be the oldest starting quarterback in the history of the NFL when he gets under center for the opener next season. And, and still playing like he's in his prime. And, right, still playing a, as a guy that is at the top of the league. So a lot goes into this. Adam Schefter of ESPN weighed in with his opinion on the Brady retirement and then return. Tampa Bay was heading into this free agent signing period this week with 26 players to re-sign. And now you begin to look at it, all the players that are going to be back or that were scheduled to be free agents, I would imagine that some of them are all going to want to come back. Ryan Jensen, Tom Brady's center, might have left were it not for Tom Brady's decision. Leonard Fournette is a running back who is scheduled to be a free agent this week. Maybe he would leave. Chris Goblin got the franchise tag. O.J. Howard's a tight end. And so you've got a bunch of players in Tampa who are scheduled to hit the market this week and could have entered into agreements at noon tomorrow, which I would imagine is one of the reasons that Tom announced his decision tonight. And, Michelle, the one thing I wonder is, Brett Favre became a a disliked figure because he would ponder retirement, he would talk about retirement, then not retire. Brady's done it once. I think you can only get away with it once before people start rolling their eyes saying, come on. I think the circumstances are a little different, though, because Tom Brady made this announcement and then you didn't hear a whole lot from him. We didn't have the big saga of Ed Werder being camped out on Tom Brady's front lawn. Not that Ed Werder could even get to Tom Brady's front lawn. That's the difference, yeah. But we didn't have this constant churn of, is he in, is he out? Is he in, is he out? Which is what we had with Brett Favre. I think that you're right if he were to say after next season, I'm done, and then come back, we'd say, okay, now you're the guy who cried retirement. Now you're you're acting Brett Far-esque. But again, I don't think a lot of people really believe that he was actually done. Adam Schefter said mm-hmm. that they left the light on. The Bucks left the light on. Even though Tom Brady said with Jim Gray, no, I'm done. I need to experience more things outside of football. Even though Bruce Arians had come out and said, Tom Brady's closed the door. I don't think anybody in the football circles really believed he was done until the papers were in and until there was another guy under center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to start the season. Brady said eight years ago, when I suck, I'll retire. I'm going to believe that. Yeah, of I don't course. think that he goes anywhere, whether it's 44, 45, 46, 47 years old. I don't believe he retires until he sucks. Haven't we learned right now that the age is not really the determining factor for Tom Brady? He's, no. He said, I want to play until my year 45 season, which you would think he would have wanted to play through the end of this season because that's where he would be. But it's it's the desire to do it, too. We know that Tom Brady dedicates his entire life to maintaining his body and, and to his craft, preparing himself physically, mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally to give it his all during the season. And after so long, that has to wear on you. But clearly, that drive is still there. Clearly, he's not ready to give up the routine. And Michelle, if you look at the history of the position, Y.A. Tittle, Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, all those guys sucked when they they didn't stick around uh, until they were not good anymore. Even to an extent, Kurt Warner, who was his last game was a playoff game, but he was far from his peak when he retired. All of those guys 
pretty much extract every ounce mm-hmm. of their ability from their career. And I have to believe that Brady's going to be exactly like he said. He's going to suck when he retires. But how many of those guys were dedicating so much of their off time to maintaining their body and to living the disciplined lifestyle that right. Tom Brady does so, to have his body be game ready? That's why I'm saying it might be when he's 50. Yeah, it could but be. it's not going to be until he's... Age is not going to be a factor here. No. It's going to be when he sucks. Or when he doesn't have the mental drive to prepare himself physically yeah. to do what he needs to do, which I don't know if that will ever go away. I've read this... Or he gets a concussion. Something. Or maybe he's injured. Who Maybe, maybe his body will determine it for mm-hmm. him in one way or another. But... I've read the passage before. I don't have it here in front of me, but I read the Seth Wickersham book, It's Better to Be Feared, which is a fascinating look into the Patriots dynasty and into Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And I'm paraphrasing here, but what you really learn about Tom Brady in this book is that it's not the external accolades that drives him. It's not, yes, he wants championships. Yes, he wants records, but he's competing with himself every single day. The challenge for him is, finding a way to beat Tom Brady. And Mm -hmm. that is never going to go away. He's still mad that he got taken in the sixth round. Of course. (laughs) These are things that that continue to stoke that fire. And I just imagine him having this conversation with Giselle, watching his kids get older and saying, I don't want to miss this. Maybe it's time for me to walk away. And then two days later, him missing <laughs> the workouts, him missing the the routine of the discipline of getting his body ready because you get addicted to that. Tom Brady, I think, is addicted to beating himself. And that's hard to separate yourself from when it's been your identity for 20 years. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. That's today's big thing. Coming up, who's the next basketball coach going to be at the University of Missouri? Gabe DeArmond will give us some of the candidates next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's the best thing for both parties, and that's the best thing for both parties. But I won't waste any time with that. Whatever happens, happens. Um, and again, like I said, with life, you, 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 you know, people, you, well, this, is he gone? If that's the best thing, then that's the best thing. Uh, as long as you don't take the main things from my life. I don't, I don't, I don't worry about that. I, I don't, because... Former Mizzou basketball coach Konza Martin on the heels of the SEC tournament loss to LSU last week. A couple days later, he was out as the head coach at Missouri. We head now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com, kind enough to join us and talk about the Konzo departure and who might be coming next. Gabe, always great to have you with us here on uh, 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? Not bad. How are you guys? Everything's good. And I guess from, what, mid-season on, maybe early season on, the loss to Kansas City, this seemed kind of inevitable. Did it to you? Um, It didn't seem inevitable that early. It seemed around the first of the year, it kind of started to look like uh, they've got to do some things that I'm not sure they're capable of doing. Um, and, And I think it was even as recently as maybe a month ago, still in doubt, but they just hadn't gotten much better. They went through that stretch where they lost nine of 11, you know, in the kind of January and February. And at that point, it kind of started to seem like, yeah, there's, I I, I think this is going to happen. 
Gabe, when you look back at the Conzo Martin tenure, there was a lot of excitement at, at certain points. The Michael Porter Jr. recruitment, it seemed like he had the program position to have a lot of success. So when you're diagnosing this, what went went, went oh my goodness, what went wrong for Conzo <laughs> at Mizzou, if I could get it out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a few things. Um, you know, first of all, you're not being honest if you don't say this whole thing probably looks different if Michael or Jonte Porter stays healthy. Mm-hmm. If either one of them stays healthy, I think everything looks different. And I think his recruiting changes and all that. But that didn't happen. And, you know, I, I think a few things happened. Um, Conzo is, has not really adapted to the changes in in college basketball. And I'm not just talking name, image, and likeness. I'm talking, you know, you have a four-star kid like Trey Jackson who maybe he's not ready to play, but you've got to play him some or he's going to leave, you know, and that's what happened. Um, and uh, I, I think I, I wrote, the, I thought Ben Fredrickson wrote a good column about his his kind of, the game changed and Conzo didn't really change with it. And then I wrote some, and I think one of, Conzo's um, like fault is the wrong word, but one thing that led to what we had was that I really think he deep down believes that if you simply work hard enough and want it badly enough, you can become a really good player because frankly, he did that, right? I mean, he should not have been an all American and the player he was, um, but he made himself into that. And I just don't know how realistic that is. I mean, you can take a hundred guys and have them practice basketball every day. And Michael Porter has something those guys don't have, you know, I mean, and it's not just being six ten, obviously. Um, so I, I think a little bit, maybe he, he took a lot of these under the radar guys and thought I can get these guys to compete. I mean, the year that, that, uh, they finished one year with a, a losing record, and Conzo told us before the season he thought they were good enough to win the SEC. And I just, I, I mean, when he said it, I didn't see the talent on that team to make it happen. And and then obviously it didn't. And now to be fair to him, that might have been the year Jonte got hurt. But I mean, Jonte wasn't the difference between under 500 and like 25 and 5, right? That he's, he's not a 12-game difference by himself. So... I think there were a lot of factors that went into it, uh, but but a lot of it was just that he grew he grew up as a basketball player under Gene Cady and probably as a coach was closer to Gene Cady than he is to to some of the more modern guys. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com with us on 101 ESPN. And for the best and latest information on Mizzou, you can subscribe to PowerMizzou.com. Obviously, if the university and the athletic department are willing to pay a $6 million buyout, they're serious about basketball. So what do you think this search will look like? Well, uh, first of all, it's very quiet. I was just, I did another show this morning and said, to, much to my chagrin, it appears Missouri has finally learned to, to keep their mouths shut, which is <laughs> disappointing for guys who do what I do, right? Um, so I, I can't really be too certain about candidates and all that. I can give you the general outline of what every coaching search looks like. And that is we spend two or three days saying they're going to they're going to swing for the fences. I mean, they're that money's no object. They're going to chase these guys that uh, that it doesn't seem like there would be any reason that they should realistically get. But they're going to go after them and maybe they'll get one. And then 
those names kind of get eliminated and, and we have three or four days of, okay, here's the list we had with the mid-major guys at first that kind of makes sense that we think they're probably looking at. And then after that, there's usually a day or two of fans convincing themselves, no, that's not our list. They have a mystery candidate we don't know about. There's some big fish out there that's going to shock the world. And then that doesn't happen. And there's about three days of, oh, my God, we're not going to hire anybody. Like, what are we doing? Fold the program. Everybody's getting better. And we're just sitting here doing absolutely nothing. And then they end up hiring a guy, which I would say, eh, you know, 60 to 75 percent of the time was probably on most of these lists that all of us have put out over the last three days. And 25, 30 percent of the time is like a Frank hate like surprise. (laughs) Well, Gabe, given all of that, how desirable do you think that this opening is? See, I think it's a better job than a lot of people think. And, and part of that, I'll admit, is is due to my age. I mean, I am old enough to remember when Missouri was a top 20 basketball program in America. And it's not that. I, I don't think it's top 20. But I went through a couple weeks ago and, and did kind of a list of, okay, jobs that are clearly better and jobs you can argue are better. I came up with 29 jobs that, to me, are clearly better jobs. So, The ceiling for Missouri, where it stands right now, is probably a top 30-ish job. The floor is probably like a top 55-ish job because there's there's a bunch of programs in there that you can argue are better jobs, but I could also argue the other way. So if you split the difference, I say it's a top 40-ish job. I think this should be clearly a top half of the SEC job. Kentucky is obviously better. Tennessee and Arkansas are pretty obviously better. Florida is probably better. They've certainly had more recent success that they, you know, but the commitment at Florida from the fans and stuff is, is not all that high. You know, I mean, it's always the thing about the SEC is a lot of these places, it's all behind football. It's all behind spring football. And a lot of it's behind baseball or women's basketball too. So um, I, I think that there are only three programs that clearly should be better than Missouri. Now, Florida, LSU, Alabama, I can certainly argue right now those are better jobs than Missouri, but the Mississippi schools, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, you know, I don't even think A&M, I don't think those are are better jobs. And I think people get, you know, a better team confused with a better program or a better job. I mean, Missouri still has a lot of things that can make it a good program. It just hasn't been that for a while. And by the way, only 23 college basketball coaches made more money than Conzo Martin this right. year. So financially, it's an attractive job, too. Gabe, do you think the athletic department there has the stomach to pursue and hire a guy like Sean Miller, who you had on no. your list of possibilities? I don't. Um, and And to be fair... I didn't when I wrote the column I wrote, mm-hmm, which I know. they should hire Sean Miller. I, I wrote it largely to make a point, right? And I feel like I made the point. And then 18 hours later, Will Wade got run out of Baton Rouge. Um, and so that point kind of became moot because the whole point was as long as nothing's happened to any of these guys, why wouldn't you jump in the deep end like that? Well, now something has happened to Will Wade. We'll see if anything ever happens to to Bill Self or some of these other guys or Sean Miller still awaiting his punishment. So, no, that's not going to happen. I don't think it was ever going to happen. Um, I, I, I would probably not do it now. I probably would have done it last Friday. 
Well, it's going to be an interesting search. And like you say, they're they're quiet at the moment, but eventually somebody always talks and eventually they always talk to you. So we'll keep an eye on it at PowerMizzou.com. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Gabe. Take care. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com on 101 ESPN. I, I kind of wish they would go for the guy that has a sketchy background but has won a lot. It, and I'm not a Mizzou grad. I'm just a Mizzou fan. I want to mm-hmm. see him win. Sure. So uh, it would be a reversal of what their history, although they did have uh, Quinn Snyder, so it wouldn't be a complete reversal of what their history is. But it doesn't seem like you should go get a guy that's under FBI investigation. True, but haven't we proven in sports that all of that stuff is forgiven if you win? Bruce Pearl. I mean, this is what we do. And it's, I don't know if that's an indictment of our society as a whole, but winning is all that matters. Because if you really wanted to hire someone just to be a steward of your program and to take these these young athletes and help them grow into successful adults and, and be a good mentor for them, then Conzo Martin is your guy. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. about winning. That's all that matters. Just win, baby. There you go. That's what it's all about. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. A couple of quick things. Number one, you need to sign up to play in this year's Bracket Madness Pick'em Challenge. Brought to you by Twin Peaks and Bud Light. Fill out your attorney bracket at 101ESPN.com. It's free to enter, and this year's top score will take home a $250 Fanatics gift card. Must be 21 plus and a resident of Missouri or Illinois. The first round starts Thursday. Get signed up to play in Bracket Madness now at 101ESPN.com. And Michelle, as we know, the St. Louis Rams were not trying to win when they drafted Greg Robinson with the second overall pick in 2014. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they should have, if they were going to take an offensive tackle, taken Jake Matthews, who has just signed a new three-year contract worth $52.5 million with the team that drafted him, the Atlanta Falcons. Started all 17 games for Atlanta last year, coming off a big contract, $75 million contract, and Jake Matthews, playing in his eighth season last season with Atlanta, remains a member of the Falcons rather than the Rams. Put it on their tab. Yeah. Of things that they did to run that franchise into the ground they here. did everything they could. That list that you have of just inept draft picks <laughs> is outstanding. I mean, it's it's shocking, but outstanding. Yeah, they, their brilliance is really unheralded. Yeah, I mean, maybe they don't get enough credit for all the things that they did to really tank this team. They, there was a great method to their madness. But Jonathan Ogden played guard for a couple of weeks before he had a Hall of Fame career. A little bit, little bit different. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. Let's talk quarterbacks for a second. Let's stick with the NFL. The Minnesota Vikings and quarterback Kirk Cousins, they agreed to a one-year extension worth $35 million. This gives Kirk Cousins an immediate raise and fully guarantees an additional season in 2023 to help alleviate the Vikings with that salary cap tightness that they're dealing with. Isn't that amazing that you can sign a $35 million extension and... You can be uh, helping the team from a cal- salary cap standpoint. It's it's pretty amazing when you think about the fact that he is able to help them out like that. You like that? <laughs> you like that? I knew that was coming at and, some point. You love that. By the way, he is. Uh, I'm a Kirk Cousins fan. He's rated exactly as he should be by us, properly the, the rated, fans, but not by his salary. But that's the name of the game. 
in mm-hmm. the NFL, if you're a quarterback, if you are even having a certain or a modicum of success with your team, you're a valuable commodity, and that's what the market dictates. Right. Has he, I guess he led them to one playoff, but he's really been inconsistent. It, the amazing thing is, is that Case Keenum was more effective for them in terms of making it deep into the playoffs than Cousins has been. And Cousins was supposed to be the answer. They were a quarterback away when they signed him to that ridiculous contract. I'm looking for the playoffs, but I did find this. By the end of the 2023 season, how much money do you think he's earned in his career? I have the figure right here. I'm going to say by the end of this coming season? 2023. By the end of 2023. By the end of 2023, I'm going to say he's at $210 million. Two hundred and thirty-one point seven million dollars wow. for wow. Kirk Cousins. Not bad. Career earnings. They beat the uh, Saints in the wild card game back in twenty nineteen. That's the one playoff uh, appearance and the one playoff win for Kirk Cousins as a Minnesota Viking. There you go. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, on Friday a big move piece of. Uh, Information coming down in the Deshaun Watson cases. So a grand jury in Houston voted on Friday not to indict Deshaun Watson on the criminal charges that he was facing, leaving the 22 civil lawsuits that he has with accusations of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct during those massage sessions there. So no criminal charges, which I think was the green light for some teams to go out and pursue Deshaun Watson. So the Carolina Panthers reportedly will make an aggressive offer for Deshaun as soon as he waives his no trade clause, which allows them to to negotiate with the Texans. Their owner, David Tepper, really wanted Deshaun Watson last offseason. Obviously, he played at Clemson. He's from close to Charlotte, North Carolina, so that would make sense. That being said, Michelle, he seems to me to be a fit in Seattle where they have Hmm. given players second chances over the years. They have the draft cachet now because of the Wilson trade to go out and trade for a Deshaun Watson they don't mind spending big money. And they have a lot of good tools with Lockett and Metcalf. And uh, they obviously need to work on their offensive line. They've, they've got a, a good running game. I don't know what their defense is going to look like next year. But they seem to be closer to being good to me than the Panthers do. But I, I'm guessing that it's going to be either Seattle or the Panthers. The New Orleans Saints have also expressed interest in Deshaun Watson. That is is a really interesting match, mm-hmm. too, because if they get Michael Thomas back and you've got Kamara and you've got a good offensive line there led by the St. Louis and Toronto Armstead, there's a lot of good things about that team in New Orleans, and they might be just a Deshaun Watson away from being really good. The team that you and I keep bringing up that I'm surprised is not mentioned more often is the Pittsburgh Steelers, not only because Big Ben has finally vacated the quarterback position there, but they've dealt with this before with Ben Roethlisberger, a very similar situation with allegations mm-hmm. of this manner. And Pittsburgh was able to move past it. And p- people now, in regards to Big Ben, rarely even yeah. bring it up. 2010, they swept that accusation under the rug. He was suspended for four games, and they went 12-4 and four that season, by the way. And he turned into a hero in Pittsburgh. So if they would go get if the Steelers would go get a guy like Deshaun Watson, they've been down that road before. They're, that's a franchise that also signed Michael Vick as a backup to Ben Roethlisberger towards the end of his career. So they aren't averse to providing guys second chances either. So if they could come up with what it takes to get Deshaun Watson, and if Houston would have no trouble trading him in the AFC, in terms of just football, he'd be an amazing choice for the Steelers. 
You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, a bit of news from the NBA. LeBron James became the first player in league history to reach the 10,000-point marks in points, rebounds, and assists in the Lakers' 140-111 to loss to the Phoenix Suns. So a tough loss for the Lakers, but LeBron James, 10,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, and 10,000 assists. The first player ever in league history to do it. In terms of just playing ability, He's number one. Now, in terms of willing teams to championships, Michael, for me, stands above LeBron. But just in terms of playing ability, I think LeBron's number one. And and the numbers bear it out. I'll say this. If they they play a one-on-one, I think LeBron wins. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I might put my... You just said Michael will 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 himself to win no matter what. I don't know if I could bet against Michael Jordan, even though I think, wouldn't that be, if you could do a time machine and there's all these matchups that we talk about, isn't LeBron versus Jordan the number one thing on your sports time machine? I would love to see that. I wonder if Michael could get, LeBron's 6'8 and 265. Michael was, is, what, 6'6, 210, 215. That'd just be a hard one-on-one to win. But maybe he could get at some point LeBron to back down just to give up. Trash talk, Mike, maybe? You know Michael's not going to give up. <laughs> well, he's going to trash talk him for sure. Yeah, that's we, true. We know maybe the chirping will yeah. do it. But if we take a, a macro view of this, LeBron James now has 36,824 career points, which ranks third all time. Mm-hmm. 10,004 assists, which is seventh all time. 10,150 rebounds, which is 39th. And he's in range to pass Carl Malone for number two on the all-time scoring list sometime this week. That's all dependent on his knee that he's been nursing. Unbelievable. And yet the team lost last night. <laughs> but he keeps climbing up in these yeah. Statistical categories. Remarkable. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up, the Cardinals with their first full squad workout today. Plus, the Blues will have a couple of days off. What do they need to do during these few days off? And what do they need to do a week from today? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. down the stretch of this edition of Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And we want you to know that first round action of the NCAA tournament is scheduled for Thursday and Friday here on 101 ESPN. We'll be getting in on the fun by going to watch all the games at Max Downtown Alton. We'll be broadcasting both Thursday and Friday live from Max with BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2 and the Fast Lane from 2 to 6. Delicious food, the coldest beer, 101 ESPN giveaways, plenty of screens to watch all the first round madness and more. BK and Ferrario and the Fast Lane both live this Thursday Thursday and Friday for the tourney at Max Downtown Alton. And, Michelle, there's also some cool stuff happening over at Ballpark Village as they're reopening our uh, Budweiser brew house. And uh, we're going to give away a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village and the Budweiser brew house. Let's do it. That sounds like a great thing to do on a Monday. All people have to do is text in. And if you're texture number 30, what did we refer to the signings of Nick Whitgren and the other guy? Randy. Matt, the, the other guy. Verhagen? Drew Verhagen. Drew Ver, Verhagen. Verhagen? Verhagen. I'll get it down by regular season. This is the second time a Dutch pitcher has caused me problems in the last week, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not okay with it. Okay, so all you need to do is be uh, texture number 30 if you want to get the tickets, or the gift card, rather, for Ballpark Village. Uh, 
to all you have to do is tell us what we referred to those signings as. And John Mosaic has used the phrase in the past. That's a hint. Yeah. So uh, we want to hear from you here on 101 ESPN. Some of the responses already. Baseball. Someone said underwhelming. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's not it. That's not that's it. That's not the one. Uh, a phrase <laughs> that Mo has used in the past that we brought back. How, about, this. The, how about this one? Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> that's not it either. But I appreciate the, the laughs. Yeah. Pretty fun. So, texture number 30. Okay, the Blues fall last night. They lose to the Winnipeg Jets 4-3 in overtime after leading 2-1 entering the third period. And Braden Shen talked about the Blues' energy. Just, I think the whole game, um, you know, we maybe didn't have enough uh, uh, energy to the building tonight. Um, you know, they're a desperate team over there, and uh, uh, at times I don't think we matched it uh, at all. That is not a good thing. Both teams playing their third game in four nights. And if you're the Blues, and you do need every point, if you don't match the other team's energy, you probably aren't going to win the game. But I love that response from from Braden Shen because after the four-game losing streak that the Blues had, I thought their energy was so much better against the Rangers, against Nashville, and at points during that game yesterday versus Winnipeg when they fell behind 3-2. They had that uh, amazing goal to come back. They really showed a lot of fight, but I think in overtime, they didn't necessarily match the energy, but I love that they're so cognizant of that, that that's something Mm -hmm. that they are actively trying to go out there and do after a four-game losing streak. I wonder if the Blues at times pace themselves, too. Having been through a stretch run like this, where you're playing a ton of games, and then winning the Stanley Cup after a stretch run like that, Mm -hmm. they know what it takes to get to the playoffs and be at peak form for the playoffs. I wonder if sometimes, maybe even it's subconscious, but they just put it in cruise control. Perhaps. We've seen it at times with lesser opponents. Maybe they they subconsciously go into a game like that thinking, I don't need to give it a 10 because we're playing a team that requires us to be at a 7, but that's come mm-hmm. back to bite them, clearly. Um but yeah, David Perron brought up such a great point with us about how these guys, some of them for the first time are getting acclimated into a full regular season. And even the veterans are getting used to getting back to a full regular season. So maybe there is a little bit of that trying to conserve energy or conserve their bodies at times. But in a game like yesterday, I don't know why you would do that when you're in it. You can you can win. You have the chance to win. Right. That's the frustrating thing is that you could have gotten an extra point out of last night. You could have given yourself a little bit more cushion, and you didn't. You didn't take advantage of the situation. Meanwhile, the Cardinals' first full squad workout today down in Jupiter, Florida. Michelle, I think, this is just my opinion here, that this is the full squad. I think that the 26 players that appear here against the Pirates on April 7th those 26 players will participate in today's first full squad workout. So you don't think that there's going to be an external option at DH? I do not. You do not think they're going to add another pitcher? I do not, no. And Derek Gould wrote about it at stltoday.com that there may be another pitcher or a bat on the horizon. But knowing the Cardinals and what their MO is, They've talked for such a long time about Nolan Gorman and then last year from midseason on about Juan Yepes and Lars Nutbar, once he came up, they said, hey, th- this is a guy that we believe is a legit major league hitter. I believe their opening day DH will come from among those three because they don't want to block Nolan Gorman. Mm-hmm. And it sure looks as if they're satisfied with the relief pitchers that they signed over the course of the weekend. 
Well, when it comes Verhagen. to- There you go. Good job. Drew, Drew Verhagen and Nick Wittgren. Proud of you, Randy. Thank you. And especially with those young guys, I always go back to the Randy Rosarena moment and how that has impacted the way the Cardinals are really drilling down and making sure that they can evaluate or have enough of a sample size to effectively evaluate the young talent that they have in-house. They need to know about a Nolan Gorman. They need to know about a Yepes and a Mm -hmm. Nubar because either those guys are going to advance for you or maybe you keep the intrigue surrounding them and you use them for a trade. They can become an important piece for you to deal at some point but I think the last thing the Cardinals want to do is not give those guys the runway to show what they can do and then you potentially move them and they become a star somewhere else and we did not give them a lot of buy-in last year at this time of year on either O'Neill or Bader did we so we we do have to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're probably better at evaluating talent than we are all right uh, Hold Maggie. on a second. That's crazy talk. I don't I okay. guess assume that, okay. Randy. <laughs> hey, don't forget, Carriker and Smallman with your chance to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village to celebrate the grand reopening of the Budweiser Brewhouse. The Budweiser Brewhouse, St. Louis iconic tap house and beer garden in the heart of Ballpark Village, returns this Friday, March 18th. Enjoy an exciting new menu, over 100 beers on tap, special appearances by Cardinals alumni, Fred Bird, live music, and more. Find a bonus chance to win a $50 gift card to Ballpark Village on the 101 E. ESPN mobile app or at 101 ESPN.com. Have we had a lot of people, um, Matthew? Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, that I, had, I had to sort through it. We got to, I mean, unfortunately, I'm sorry to the texture number 74 that got in, got in here that you're not the winner. Texture 30 beat you to it. But yeah, there's a lot of people who got a uh, low hanging fruit. Low hanging fruit is what we referred to Drew Verhagen and Nick Whitgren as. And we compared it to me going to. Eckert's, and at least I didn't pick it up, pick my apple up off the ground, Michelle. I it was just, it was low hanging. I wasn't going to jump for it or climb a ladder for it. In fairness. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, in fairness, not, 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 you know, our words and not technically his words on these specific signings, but nonetheless, that is a John Moselock, John Moselock phrase. Yeah. And you didn't say the apples were bruised. You know, they're oh, still crisp and Delicious. Intact. Yeah, you can make a great pie out That's of them. That's right. Just maybe... A little, little lower on the tree. See, low hanging, but a sweet result. Crisp and delicious. There we go. At one least we're hoping so. I want one that's gold. <laughs> gold and delicious. Great job, Matt. Thank you. Pleasure. Michelle, this was fun. It was, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. We will be back for you on Tuesday. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. 
And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bet Online as well. And don't forget, Bet Online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. Grab a 30 day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.